everyone, and welcome back to the podcast English with Kaya. And、uh, thanks so much for tuning in today. And I hope you guys are having a great summer, or if you're listening to this like years later, and、um, whatever season you're in, I hope you're having a great time.、Uh, let's talk about some. Stuff like Instagram and email. Please follow English with Kaya on Instagram.、Um, if you want to leave comments there, please do. If you want to send me an email about what you thought about the episodes or you know some suggestions for future episodes,、um, a topic you want me to cover, please let me know at English with Kaya at gmail dot com. That would be amazing. All right, guys. So. I'm、just gonna turn down the air con. It's a bit, yeah. All right. Now,、uh, today the topic of today's、uh, episode is Andrei Tarkovsky. Andrei Tarkovsky was a Russian filmmaker from the Soviet Union, and the reason I decided to talk about him and one of his movies,、uh, my favorite, The Mirror, today is that I am a huge fan of Andrei Tarkovsky. And I really wanted to talk about his work. Now, I know that in uh, the podcast, uh, most of the time I've kind of talked about my own experiences、uh, in my life、um, while introducing new English words, and I think that's fun. And this is the first episode where I'm doing a kind of more, a little bit esoteric.、Um, esoteric means. Difficult or hard to understand. I don't think esoteric is the right right word. I think、uh, maybe like more artsy, kind of a little bit more intellectual theme. So this is the the first episode that I'm doing that's covering a, a little bit more of an intellectual theme than usual, right? And I want to do more of these like intellectual artsy、uh, episodes in the future because these things really interest me and.、Um, Yeah, I hope they interest you too. And while we talk about these uh, slightly uh, intellectual or whatever you want to call it themes, there will be lots of new vocabulary, lots of vocabulary, academic vocabulary, that will be useful for you and for me, for everyone. And I will put these new vocabulary in the description below. I will not explain every. Single new word, okay? Because that's gonna take ages. And so while I'm talking, please, you know, if you don't get some words, just pause the podcast and look at the description below. I will put the new words there, so you can check the spelling and you can check the meaning and all of that. So yeah, just check the description while you're listening for the new words. And so today, I want to talk about Andrei Tarkovsky. First, I'll talk about him as a person, right? And then later, I'll cover more of,、um, uh, like, I'll talk about his movie, The Mirror. And、uh, you can watch the whole, like, the full movie, The Mirror, on YouTube. It's on YouTube. So I will put the link to the movie, The Mirror, by Andrei Tarkovsky, on YouTube in the description to this episode as well. So if you want to watch the movie, check it out. Please go and click on the link. It's there,、uh, yeah. And this movie—it's in Russian, but it has English subtitles, so you can watch the movie with English subtitles. Great. So yeah, let's get started. First of all, 
Andrei Tarkovsky, who is this guy? Um, yeah, he was born in 1932 in Ivanovo Industrial Oblast in the, the USSR, which is now the Russian Federation. And he passed away in 1986 at the age of 54 from cancer in Paris, in France. So he had a pretty short life by modern standards. And he made seven feature films in total, plus one film that he made as a student. And each one of these seven films is a masterpiece, whether you like it or not. And uh, Tarkovsky, he studied filmmaking in Moscow as a young person. And he made five films in the USSR. These are Ivan's Childhood, Andrei Rublev, Solaris, Mirror, and Stalker, these five in the USSR um, until he left the USSR for good in 1979 because he had a lot of conflict with the Russian state film authorities and he didn't or he couldn't make films anymore in the USSR, um, i.e. the Soviet Union, so he decided to leave his country and go into self-imposed exile in Western Europe. And after he left Russia, he made his two final movies abroad, Nostalgia in Italy and The Sacrifice in Sweden. Interestingly, The Sacrifice was shot with the crew and actors from Ingmar Bergman's films. Ingmar Bergman was also a great filmmaker from Sweden, and Tarkovsky admired him very much, So when he went to Sweden, he worked with actors and film crew from Bergman's studio, which is really fascinating. By the way, you can watch all of Andrei Tarkovsky's movies and some of Ingmar Bergman's movies, like full HD, on YouTube um, with English subtitles. It's amazing. Yeah, so you can go and check them out. Yeah, so Andrei Tarkovsky... His films are well, like considered to be, you know, one of the top, like the best films that were ever made in the history of film, and he had influence, or he he he, he had a lot of influence on a number of other film directors, including masters, maestros like Ingmar Bergman, Akira Kurosawa, and almost everyone who was making films in the 20th century, and Tarkovsky continues to influence film directors in the modern day. For me personally, my number one favorite movie by Tarkovsky is Mirror, or The Mirror, and my number two favorite is The Sacrifice. My number three favorite is Solaris, and Mirror was the first Tarkovsky film that I had ever watched. I watched it on my 11th or 12th birthday in Japan. My parents gave me lots of presents for my birthdays and one of them was a DVD of Andrei Tarkovsky's The Mirror. I remember my mind was blown away when I first saw The Mirror at age 11 or 12. Imagine being an 11 or 12 year old kid and you're reading Harry Potter or whatever, and then your parents give you a Tarkovsky movie, and your mind is like, what was that? Like, I was blown away. And um, 
Yeah, so as a child, you're very sensitive. So being exposed to that kind of really weird, in the best sense, weird, and kind of out of this world, crazy artistic movie as a child, I um, it left a very deep impression on me. I still remember the day that I watched The Mirror for the first time as a child. Um, yeah, my parents, you know, they gave me lots of wonderful stuff for my birthday, like Tarkovsky movies and like um, English translations of Dostoevsky and Gogol and Chekhov and Nietzsche, and, you know, yeah, and an interesting education. Anyway, so yeah, I was watching, I watched that as a child. And yeah, so back then in the 2000s, we still used DVDs, right? Nobody watches DVDs anymore. Like we all watch everything from the internet, from Amazon, from Netflix, from YouTube. But back then we had DVDs. Anyway, so going back to Tarkovsky, to quote from Wikipedia, Tarkovsky's films explore spiritual and metaphysical themes and are noted for their slow pacing and long takes, dreamlike visual imagery, and preoccupation with nature and memory. Now, this is very true. It's a great summary of what Andrei Tarkovsky films are like. Basically, Tarkovsky films put you in a certain state of mind. They provide you with a vibe, this atmosphere, this state of hypnosis. His films are very hypnotizing. You watch them and you're kind of your mind goes off into this like hypnotic space basically. And many people say that Tarkovsky films are very esoteric and philosophical. Now, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but I would say, okay, I will discuss this a bit later, but I, after, you know, that's what I used to think. As a child, as a teenager, watching Tarkovsky movies, I thought that, oh, this is a very philosophical movie. You know, you have to have read a lot of books to understand this. But now, as uh, an adult, re-watching his films, I find that his films are not so philosophical, but more, like, deeply emotional like they stir your emotions they are deeply connected to the heart so in my opinion it's better to try to understand a tarkovsky film not with your mind but with your heart because that's what his films are they're about feelings and memory um and his films are also inexplicable and incomprehensible to some extent um those are synonyms, they mean impossible to understand. And because of that, there is no need actually to analyze them or to explain the symbolism of Tarkovsky movies because, all right, some things in those movies might have symbolism, but there's no point actually in analyzing those symbols in Tarkovsky movies because everyone, every viewer, can interpret his movies in his or her own way. And it's better to feel these movies than to try to understand them. And if there was one right answer to, okay, what does this mean? What does this horse mean in this scene, for example, in a Tarkovsky movie? If there was a right answer, then it wouldn't be a Tarkovsky movie because it's the ambiguity of 
the movie itself and the imagery that makes his films so interesting and watchable and you won't get tired of it. I've watched his films hundreds of times. I'm never tired of his movies because of the ambiguity. Each time I find something new in the movies or I come up with a different interpretation of the movies. And that's what makes his films so interesting, right? I mean, because there is no right answer. And but one of the themes that I would say kind of runs through all of his film whatever like all of his work I would say is anti-progress anti-technology right he was very skeptical and doubtful about modern technology and this skepticism about technology is still relevant to us today Um, for example AI chat GPT how much should we trust or entrust our humanity to new technology basically right is it humanizing us or dehumanizing us what what is technology doing to us what is our relationship to it and Tarkovsky was very much a reactionary he didn't like new technology he thought that humanity was headed in the wrong direction he thought pretty much that we should go back to our spiritual roots and religious roots and his films are very spiritual and mystical like he looks at the human psyche from in the natural world from a spiritual mystical perspective it's funny because Tarkovsky was an elitist in some sense and he only said he said that you can count the number of good films made in the history of cinema with one hand so basically he thought there that there was about five at least less than 10 good movies made in the history of cinema overall and he everything else else he thought was trash <laughs> but the one and only hollywood blockbuster film that he actually praised was the terminator <laughs> like i'm sure he hated hollywood and those these silly blockbuster action films like i'm sure he thought it was all trash rubbish but the one and only Hollywood film that he praised a little bit was The Terminator because he said this actually shows the future of humans where we, we will be exterminated by robots and AI and technology. So he had a very negative, pessimistic view of where technology is taking us. Um, you know, we can agree with that or disagree with that or or more, hold more of an agnostic view on this it's it's we don't have to agree or disagree with his views it's just inherent in his work also i would say that yeah so he was skeptical of pro, so-called progress as we call it especially in the western world especially of technological progress and what is funny is that Tarkovsky disliked stanley kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey so this 2001 this is a movie you can also watch it on youtube it was made in 1968 by the american film director stanley kubrick and in this movie it shows humankind as progressing constantly and at the end we in this movie humans transcend they overcome um uh, they overcome uh, technology and 
you know, humans are depicted de- depicted as becoming like superhuman or even uh, some somehow like godlike or extraterrestrial. So uh, we are constantly progressing as a species in 2001 A Space Odyssey. But Tarkovsky, having watched this film, hated it. And he said, oh, no, this is not how we are going. And he made the movie Solaris, I believe, in the 19... I'm not sure, 70s? And this Solaris was a direct response to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Solaris shows humans in a very different light you know we're not constantly progressing we're just running around in a circle and we will never get anywhere so we might as well focus on our inner world and spirituality this kind of message and Tarkovsky's idea was that humans our place is not out there in the cosmos but it's here on earth because that that's basically what he says part of what he says in Solaris and I guess like watching his films, to be honest, it's kind of useless even to think about what Tarkovsky thought because what Tarkovsky thought is not important. What we think about his movies is important. The multiplicity and plurality of our interpretations of his movies is what matters. But part of this kind of message that's really always in his movies is that modern man has become or modern humans have been torn away from the religious and spiritual world with his preoccupation in the material world and Tarkovsky at at least to me he seems to be calling for a holistic view of man or humans as being part of both the spiritual and material worlds and so we don't need to treat the paranormal the supernatural as something frightening um like you know after the industrial revolution we humans have become so focused on the material world that anything that doesn't fit this worldview the paranormal the spiritual goblins and witches and gods and whatever um these so-called supernatural phenomena have been kind of pushed out of our data of what we conceive to be uh, our modern world and we treat this either we infantilize it so uh, goblins and witches and the paranormal is treated as something childish it's something that kids enjoy you know like child children's fantasy like harry potter it's for children it's not real it doesn't belong to the adult world we infantilize it or we treat it as something sacred and secret you know like the tibetan monks up in the tibetan mountains they're engaging in some mystical practices it's it's something secret and hidden or we treat it as something frightening like a horror movie right um i think there was a hollywood movie called paranormal activity or i don't i don't remember anyway the paranormal is treated as something scary that can harm us you know um in the modern world and you know watching tarkovsky movies like his films are really a combination a unification of the material world that we see and touch and sense and the paranormal but not in the sense of like childish or secretive or scary but almost in the sense that it's all one in the same thing and Tarkovsky seems to be saying that hey there's no need to 
draw a line between the so-called normal and paranormal because they're one and the same thing. The material world and the supernatural, the natural and the supernatural are all the one and the same thing. We don't need to separate them. And once we stop separating them, we stop fearing the supernatural because it's already a part of us, you know. That's that's kind of roughly what he seems to be conveying through his images. Um, at least that's my interpretation of it. And it kind of makes sense because his films are always like, you know, technology is like that. No, it's, it's our soul that matters, right? Like our feelings anyway. So that's kind of what he seems to be getting at. And also, yeah, like... And also, Tarkovsky was a very religious person, which also kind of brought him in conflict with the state authorities in the Soviet Union because, as we all know, the Soviet Union was atheistic. Therefore, he was viewed as elitist and esoteric and spiritual and religious, everything that the Soviet Union despised. Therefore, no wonder that he had to leave the country um, because he couldn't make any more films there. Anyway, yeah, so there's all this stuff going on about, and you know, it's interesting to think about this because then you start wondering, well, if we go back to our spirituality, our the mystical side of us as human beings, does that mean that we have to join some kind of cult and become religious and follow a religious leader? No, I don't think that is what what anyone is saying. Um, like just because a work of art is spiritual and mystical doesn't mean that we suddenly have to become religious and join a cult. That is not because Tarkovsky is a very individualistic film director. He focuses in on himself and on like each character's like emotions and inner world. So spirituality for him seems to be more of like a very individualistic thing so it doesn't mean that you have to join a group to feel it and I think that's important because many people manipulate uh, situations and other people using spirituality and hypnosis like Hitler is a great example of that many people say that his speeches were very hypnotic and you know this Nazi vision of beauty human beauty artistic beauty it holds this almost like spiritual like uh, attraction and so like no wonder many people were attracted to it at the time um, but this is a case in which spirituality can be misused for a very bad political purpose and we I think we need to be careful when we talk about spirituality because we need to ask ourselves what is spirituality being used for what's the purpose and as for Tarkovsky films, well, you're just watching an art house film. You you're, you get to think about life and all of these things, and it's not you. It's not really for a political purpose. At least I like to think that it's not. Like, uh, okay, you might become interested in Russian history and culture. That's pretty much as far as it goes. Well, you know, now with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and you could say, oh, that's political. That's not good. But Tarkovsky was living way 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 before like he died already in the 1980s so that was a long time ago so you know spirituality is it being used for you know just self-reflection or or in critical thinking or is it being used to further someone's political program we really need to be skeptical of spirituality itself before we immerse ourselves in it, I think. Or we don't have to immerse ourselves in it. We just need to accept that, yeah, there is a mystical part 
of the world that, well, it's just there and um, we don't need to shun it, so to speak. Anyway, you know, and, you know, I think I've been praising Tarkovsky a lot and kind of agreeing with what he's saying, but I don't really agree with everything that he says. And one thing that I hate, I wouldn't say hate, I, I really dislike about Tarkovsky movies is his portrayal of women and Tarkovsky was notorious in his relationships with real women in his life he had numerous affairs it's just his relationships with women is just disgusting I would say um and his views on women he said that women only exist like her she's only valuable in relationship to men and I'm like that's such a horrible thing to say and I'm glad I never met him in real life because if I had met him in real life, I think I would have been disillusioned and disgusted, um, like being a woman myself. Like so, um, yeah. But yeah, so his portrayal of women in his films is also problematic. It, they're very one-sided. They're either portrayed as the wife, the lover, the daughter, or or, or you know, uh, to the main male protagonist and. Um, women are either infantilized or idealized or sexualized or uh, demonized in his films and we never see women with deep uh, gender neutral feelings and thoughts in his films because all of those feelings and thoughts are expressed by the male characters and women are just like these props uh, you know stereoty stereotypical kind of figures moving around and the films like very much seen from the gaze of Tarkovsky the man who you know he was uh, like you know it's, it's just it's, I really don't like the way women are portrayed are in his films um, that's one thing but okay so but let's move let's move on and let's talk about the film The Mirror which was made in 1975 so that's what like 50 years ago almost 50 years ago almost half a century ago that's crazy oh my god but you watch this movie today and it feels as if it was made yesterday it it is it doesn't feel old at all it's such a new film it it speaks to you it's it's very emotional and it has not aged at all it's amazing really and Mm. So basically the film is loosely based on Tarkovsky's own autobiography of growing up in the countryside in Russia and um, later during World War II he was still a boy and his father left his family to go off to the war. His father is absent and the thing about the mirror is that it has no plot <laughs> and it is plotless and it is a very strange film in the best sense. And the past and the present all kind of, the, the, the story kind of jumps from the past to the present, then to the past, and then to someone's memories. And then you don't know if it's a memory or if it's an illusion or if it's an interpretation of someone's experiences. You have no idea what it is, but that's what makes it interesting. And the actors, the actress who plays the mother of Tarkovsky, she also plays the wife of Tarkovsky in the modern day. Also, the little boy who plays the part of the young, I don't know if it's Tarkovsky, I mean, you know, Tarkovsky-ish 
boy figure. He also plays the part of Tarkovsky's son in the modern day. So you have this like different, like the same actor playing corresponding roles in different generations. So you you wonder, oh, is this like intergenerational memory or? And you also have historical documentary footage from World War II shown in the films. Some war footage as well. Some scenes of bombing. I, I forgot if it was the bombing of Hiroshima. Anyway, if from footage from Russia, from Europe, for all of this historical documentary footage is also used in the film. So it also almost feels like a memory of the 20th century, and many different interpretations are possible here. You could say, oh,、uh, there is a contrast between personal memory. And historical documented memory. Well, you could say that.、I'm, that's kind of true. And also, you can ask yourself: Is this the memory of one person, Tarkovsky? Of course, it, it's been fictionalized. But is it, or is it the memory of two or more people? Because at one point, there's another little boy who becomes the focus of the camera during the. The training scene. The, the, some boys are training to shoot、um, during World War Two in the snow somewhere in the countryside, and suddenly the focus is on this other boy, and you and but the boy who plays the younger Tarkovsky is there as well. So you wonder, well, this younger boy is he representing the memory of someone else, which could be the case, and. Um, so is this scene real? Is it a dream? Is it an illusion? Is it a deja vu? Is it a stream of consciousness? You really don't know, and that's what makes it so interesting. Because in the end, it doesn't matter, and we can participate as free creators in the process of watching this film. You can watch it, and you can interpret it whatever way you like. So you kind of become this metaphysical co-creator. Of the film, as in the process of watching it, and you can also find yourself in this film. Of course, it's very much told from a masculine perspective. So, as a woman, it might be hard to kind of sympathize or empathize with some of the views presented. But、um, the childhood memories、um, in the house in the country, like watching that, I felt strangely nostalgic of my own childhood, like remembering my childhood. Spending it in the countryside with relatives, whatever—it just felt strangely nostalgic and so familiar, you know. So everyone can see themselves in this film, and there are also recurring themes, like for example, like at the beginning, a doctor comes by the house where the young Tarkovsky is living with his mother, and the doctor asks the mother. Why are you rushing? Like, why do we humans rush? There's no need to rush. Plants and trees don't rush around. Why do we humans rush around? And then a few scenes later, in a black and white scene, we don't know if it's a memory of or、um, an illusion. But anyway, the mother of Tarkovsky is running into a printing house, into a printing press, and the guard asks her, "Why are you rushing?" And a few scenes later. Tarkovsky's wife in the modern day, played by the same actress, she drops some stuff from her bag onto the floor, and her son, Tarkovsky's son, presumably, is helping pick up these things for his mother. And the the mother says, "Oh, there's no need to rush." So these like recurring themes that really don't make any sense. It's almost like in a dream, this dreamlike state of. 
it's it's very dreamlike, very recurring themes that don't make sense. Like, yeah, it's a dream basically. Treat this film as a dream, like a dream. Also, in in the mirror, also in other Tarkovsky films, there are scenes where we have silence. Therefore, the actors don't say anything. And during these scenes, we imagine what the characters are thinking and feeling. And by imagining that, we kind of fall into this state of hypnosis. And then this is followed by philosophical monologues or dialogues by the characters. And then there's silence again with music. And then during this silent period, we kind of think over and digest what the characters were saying. And it gives us time to think and ruminate over what did that mean? How can how can we interpret that? Or how can we kind of contextualize what this character said within the context of this film? And then you think about that, and then that's followed by other monologues. So, so our minds kind of wander away from our own minds into pools of emotions and feelings and memories and thoughts that come from the film, but also from within us. And again, I repeat, there is no answer to any of this. There is no one way to correctly interpret a Tarkovsky film. That's what makes it so fun to watch. And, you know, because it's all meshed together with our own memories and experiences um, and from what's presented on the screen, it's kind of, it all comes kind of mixed together. And there's almost a feeling of nostalgia in the film The Mirror, nostalgia for the past, like nostalgia for our own childhood, that blurry period of our lives that was so poignant and vibrant, but also kind of dreamlike, you know, there no logic. And there is another film made by Tarkovsky called Nostalgia, which has a very different storyline. But this film, The Mirror, it could have been released under the title Nostalgia, and it would have worked, I think, because the f this whole film, The Mirror, it's so nostalgic. It makes you feel nostalgia for your own childhood, for your own past life, and for the 20th century. And, you know, historical nostalgia, personal nostalgia, nostalgia about relationships. So it's, you know, this film could have just been released as Nostalgia and it would have worked, I think. Um, no, just a thought from me. And yeah, so again, Tarkovsky was a reactionary. He looked to the past, the past, you know, the Middle Ages. And yeah, his gaze was pretty much, I think, kind of focused on the past, whether that's his own past or it, he looked at the future with fear, I think. Um, you know, because it was the height of the Cold War. No one knew when the atomic bomb was going to go and, you know, the whole world was going to end. And we're kind of in a similar situation today in 2023, right? We don't know when Putin is going to press the button and we're all going to, you know, disappear as a species. So we're kind of in the same situation again, which makes it so interesting to watch Tarkovsky films again, because you understand why this guy, in a way, was feeling that way, you know, nostalgia for the past and fear of the future. And yeah, I just find that um, horribly interesting and uh, in a terrifying way, kind of, well, uh, relatable in a sense. And um, yeah, so anyway, where was I? Anyway, his feelings and films are very emotional and 
in Tarkovsky films, they have a lot of lows and a lot of highs and a lot of meditation, lots of thoughtful moments. And sometimes you see the characters feeling really depressed, like having existential crisis and, oh my God, they're so depressed. And sometimes you see them really happy or very much in love or feeling very lonely. The characters in his, in his films have uh, like very strong emotional lives. Also, in a different film by Tarkovsky, The Sacrifice, there is a scene where the main character looks at like an album of Andrei Rublev's icons. Andrei Rublev was a 13th or 14th century, if I'm not mistaken, artist in Russia. And he's like, so what we call like, you know, medieval or maybe, you know, medieval art. And the main character says, oh, these works are amazing. And this almost shows that Tarkovsky, I think he, he he was very much interested, I think, in the Middle Ages. And it's almost as if, you know, we have lost dramatic emotions in the modern day because we're becoming more and more mechanized. Maybe Tarkovsky wanted his audiences to feel strong emotions by watching his films. And this reminded me of the book Autumn of the Middle Ages. Uh, it's a book written by Dutch historian Johan Huizinga. It was published in 1919. I read this when I was a teenager. And there was a... So basically, it's an academic book uh, talking about life in the Middle Ages in Europe. And Huizinga, at one point, he wrote that people in the past felt pleasure and pain, joy and sadness, cheerfulness and loneliness, love and hatred more strongly and acutely than we do today because modern humans have neutered themselves emotionally and physically and flattened out their emotions. Um, for example, with the help of medicine, people don't die from a lot of sicknesses anymore. And with the help of technology, we don't feel, we don't feel very sad, but we don't feel very happy either. So we've kind of flattened out our emotions and we no longer feel very deep, poignant sadness, nor loneliness, nor joy for that matter. And an example of this, it's a very simple example to illustrate would be, all right, maybe, I don't know, a hundred years ago, let's say you move to a foreign country and you start living in a foreign city on your own. You wouldn't have any friends. And if you were in that situation, you would be pretty lonely, I imagine. Um, and pretty depressed because you don't have any friends, you don't, you know, you have, no, you have to start from scratch. In the modern day, if you did this, okay, you move to a new town, you move to a new country, you have your iPhone with you, you can chat with your friends from, where, like, you know, wherever they're living in the world, you can chat with them, you can look at their Instagram, you can talk to them on Messenger or Zoom or on Telegram, whatever, and you don't, you wouldn't feel as lonely as you would if you didn't have this technology. So technology has kind of gotten rid of loneliness, but that also means that, you know, does that, you know, I really don't know if I agree with this because humans today, I don't know, like, I, I really don't, I don't know if people today are less emotional than in the past 
maybe like today we have to be very well behaved we have to be nice to everyone otherwise people are going to complain about you and i think people today are very you know maybe we are becoming mechanized with less emotions whether that's good or bad i personally i find um, modernity to be very convenient and i love technology but i know that technology also has a lot of cons lots of drawbacks that's very true so yeah i don't know like i really don't know if i agree with what hoisinger said 100% like i was not alive in the middle ages um if i was alive in a previous life i don't remember any of it so you know i just don't know and but maybe it's kind there is a there is some truth in that that people before technology they were a little bit more emotional you know their emotions were stronger whether that's good or bad because life had lots of ups and downs for them maybe more for them than for us and so tarkovsky doesn't you know his actors are like going through like really depressive episodes or like really happy episodes or they're very lonely or they're ha- and, and you you almost feel that with them it's almost like you're participating in the movie it's almost as if tarkovsky's like oh we need to go back to the when humans were humans and we were not so robotic and it's funny because uh, there is this tradition in russian orthodoxy i don't know much about russian orthodoxy so i do admit that you know i i don't know much about this religion but i do know that there is a tradition in russian orthodoxy where people think that you have to suffer in this life in order to achieve happiness in the next life like after you go to heaven or whatever so there's this tradition oh we have to suffer through life suffering is the way to you know god or something like that and you see this in dostoevsky his characters dostoevsky characters are suffering all the time and also actor uh, not actors characters in chekhov anton chekhov the 19th century russian playwright his actors are also like always suffering like oh what is the meaning of life oh i broke up with someone oh and like so much suffering <laughs> and you're like please cheer up <laughs> and um yeah so tarkovsky it's almost like a f- cinematic version of dostoevsky in a way because characters in tarkovsky films are also suffering a lot they're like oh no what's the meaning of human existence oh why do i exist oh my goodness and they're always going through like some suffering depressive episodes and not always but a lot of the times and you're like oh this is the russian artistic tradition of suffering in order to attain uh, religious or artistic goals you know so it's kind of funny if you look at it, at it in that context and also similar to dostoevsky so dostoevsky books um in his books the characters discuss a lot of philosophical themes you know is it right to kill someone for uh, of course not but uh, well you know or what's the meaning of life or you know these these philosophical ethical questions are discussed by the characters a lot in dostoevsky's novels but the novels themselves are not philosophical the novels themselves are emotional experiences so it's kind of useless to try to deconstruct a dostoevsky novel like okay this means this or this symbolizes that it's more of like an emotional experience and you watch or these characters have philosophical discussions and it's it's the same with D- Tarkovsky the film itself 
is not analyzable. It's you cannot analyze it and say this symbolizes this and this symbolizes this. It's not that's not the point. Like the his Tarkovsky movies, the movie itself is not philosophical. It's emotional. But the characters are always having philosophical discussions. <laughs> and that's funny, you know. I just find that really hilarious because yeah, it's funny, you know. You're like, oh, they're always talking about the meaning of life and they're torturing themselves. And <laughs> you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> cheer up. Anyway, yeah, so th- that's kind of an interesting similarity between Tarkovsky, the filmmaker, and Dostoevsky, the novelist. Apparently, Tarkovsky wanted to make a film adaptation of Dostoevsky's The Idiot, but his proposals to the film state authorities were turned down and this project was never realized, that would have been an amazing movie to watch. But anyway, yeah. And so I've been talking a lot about what Tarkovsky wanted to show, etc. But it doesn't matter what he wanted. And what matters more is like how we kind of digest his films, like what we get out of it, essentially. Because Tarkovsky himself, he wrote... In I think in his novel, uh, not his his book. It's called a Sculpting in Time. It's a book written by Tarkovsky about his own movies. It's very interesting. You can find the English translation, the PDF version on the internet. And I was reading it the other day, and I think he wrote in it, or what was it? Somewhere somewhere else. He wrote like, I don't intend to present a like an interpretation of something on screen, I intend my viewers to interpret it whatever way they want in a way. So this kind of creative interpretive freedom for you. And I think that's true. And watching The Mirror, you so it's kind of a an autobiography of one person, stream of consciousness. And you start asking yourself as you watch the movie, like, what are we? Like, who are we anyway? Are we a collection of dreamlike faulty memories and illusions desires conflicts and feelings is that what makes up our identities like we think we know ourselves but how reliable are our memories anyway aren't our memories faulty and illusory and dreamlike and not logical illogical anyway i think that's true and also it's interesting because in many scenes in the mirror, um, the characters, including the mother or the young Tarkovsky or uh, this woman who appears near the end of the film, who is played actually by Tarkovsky's second wife, Larissa Tarkovskaya, these characters, they gaze, they stare at themselves, at their own faces in the mirror. And there's one scene where the little boy he stares at himself in the mirror and the camera just zooms in on his face and with this classical music playing in the background he's just looking at himself in the mirror and there's nothing else going on and these mirror staring scenes they seem to at least from my understanding from what i got out of this is that It's what we do every morning, isn't it? Like when we brush our teeth, we look at ourselves in the mirror. We check, we confirm, and we reconfirm who we are and our identities. Like, are we the same person that we were yesterday and the day before? We look at ourselves in the mirror like, oh yeah, that's me. It's me. I'm sure it's me. I haven't changed from yesterday, right? I have the same eyes, the same nose, yes. And we're kind of reconfirming what we know about ourselves and what we think is our life story um, and our memories 
how accurate those memories are, I it's not it's doubtful, but we kind of confirm, reconfirm our identities by looking into the mirror. And people who have maybe schizophrenia or other people who feel that they see themselves as different people, or I'm sure there are lots of, I don't know, I'm not too knowledgeable about this field, but maybe when they look in the mirror, they can't recognize themselves in the mirror. You know, that's when maybe schizophrenia hits in. Most of the time we recognize ourselves in the mirror. And, you know, this process of uh, kind of confirming, reconfirming who we are by staring into the mirror, that's almost what Tarkovsky seems to be doing himself in this movie. Like, he's looking back into his own memories and his own feelings, his relationship with his mother. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's cool. Because there is a scene in his other movie, Solaris, where Harry, the wife of the main character, Chris, it's not the real Harry, but anyway, she looks into a mirror and she says, the moment I take my eyes off of myself from the mirror, I cannot even remember my own face. I don't know who I am. So she's like going through this existential crisis. And Tarkovsky seems to be very absorbed in this idea of who are we, like, how do we acknowledge who we are, our own identity? So he's very individualistic. He's self, very self-absorbed. And by watching his films, you also become very self-absorbed because you end up kind of thinking, oh, who am I? Like this kind of thing. And mm, and in and just going back to the mirror, uh, there are some scenes in color, but there are also other scenes that are black and white. And these black and white scenes... They seem to be dream sequences, right? And, um, yeah. And there's this one interesting scene where the little boy, uh, who I assume to be the infant Tarkovsky, maybe it's not him. It doesn't have to be him. But anyway, this little boy, he wakes up in the middle of the night or in the morning. It's kind of hard to tell in his bed. And you, you feel this, like, subtle moment between waking and sleeping. It's... It's a very familiar feeling to all of us, I imagine. And then he wakes up, and he, I think he sees like black and white trees and leaves kind of billowing in the wind. And then we see him sleeping again and waking up again. So we were like, oh, that black and white scene with the leaves and the trees, that was in his dream. Okay, so now he's woken up for real. And, so, and then we watch him, and then he gets up from his bed, he walks to the door of his bedroom, and then suddenly, we see a room, a really run-down room with ceilings falling down, with the walls peeling off, and then we see his mother washing her long hair, but this scene is really surrealistic because none of it makes sense. So we were like, oh, I thought that the little boy woke up from a dream, but he woke up from a dream to see another more weirder dream. So we're still in a dream. So you don't know where where reality starts or even if there is a concept of reality right because if we get rid of the boundary between sleeping and waking dreams and reality if it's all part of one package then there's really no need to say okay this is where reality starts because it's all blurred it's all one and the same thing and you're like oh okay so we're still in this weird dreamlike condition and this scene is really interesting because the mother, she's washing her long hair, and the long hair is hiding her face, so she almost looks like 
the women from the Japanese horror movie The Ring, like Sadako, I think she's called, like with the long hair falling down, like hiding her face, and like, oh, but it's not, a, it's not scary at all. And then she's washing her hair, and there's this big container with water in it where she's washing her hair, and then she kind of stands up with this hair still dripping down, and we don't see her face. And then after she stands up, the, the camera zooms out. And then the container that was holding the water is gone. You're like, oh my god, where did the container go? Wow, it's this is a dream. And then you also see fire in the background, and she starts walking around the room. And then suddenly the camera's back to where she was standing, but then she's not there anymore. The ceiling's falling down on where she was standing, and you're like, oh. And then, and it's it's kind of interesting. And the container that was holding the bowl the 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 water where she was initially washing her hair that container with the water in it was actually inside the little boy's room in the previous scene so you're like oh interesting um yeah i assumed that the boy is looking at this like at his mother but i'm sure it can be interpreted any number of ways and i just find this scene really provocative and just really strange in a good way anyway yeah, and also, yeah, there's this, like, love affair that Tarkovsky has his, has with words. Tarkovsky's father, Arseny Tarkovsky, was a poet, a very well-known poet and translator, and Arseny Tarkovsky himself reads and recites his own poems in his son's movie, The Mirror. You hear Arseny's voice reading his own poems in the movie. And there are lots of artistic spirituality presented, not just in the mirror, but all of Perkovsky films like music, Bach, Purcell, the classical masters, and then poems, the poems of Tarkovsky's father, or a letter that Pushkin wrote to Chadaev in the 1800s discussing the destiny of Russia and something like that. Also artwork, lots of artwork, paintings by Leonardo da Vinci, that's a, we see a lot of that in the mirror. We see the paintings of Bruegel in Solaris. We see the icon drawn by Andrei Rublev in Solaris. Uh, not Solaris. Uh, in, also in Solaris, also in The Sacrifice. So we see all of these like uh, great artistic human achievements shown in Tarkovsky films. And we also see the raw material world. In every Tarkovsky movie, there's fire, there's land with, their, with the leaves and trees, there's water, uh, often dripping water, and the wind. We often see dogs and birds. In Stalker, there's also a fish at one point, you know, animal of the sky, animal of the land, animal of the water, like these very raw things of the natural world that we can sense, we can touch, we can feel, we can smell. Also milk, there's a lot of milk in the mirror it's almost it's i don't want to say representing but it's very reminiscent of our childhood right in in, in our earliest infancy most of us drink our mother's milk or we drink you know milk from a bottle like milk is such an essential liquid in our early infancy right there's milk it's something we can touch we can smell we can see we can feel we can taste 
and th these things that we can sense with our five senses is always present in Tarkovsky films along with the more spiritual you know like artwork and music and poetry and literature um, and at first I thought Tarkovsky was drawing a contrast between them but now that I'm re-watching these films for the hundredth time I'm like maybe it's all being put together like there's no need to divide the natural world from our spiritual world because they're all one in the same thing and there seems to be this continuity between nature the, the trees the wind the grass the weeds in the riverbed these things and our inner world our inner spiritual world there seems to be a continuity between these things in the world of Tarkovsky and whereas technology is presented as it's presented as being run down and dirty and ineffective and not having any meaning in Tarkovsky films like you know this meshing of the spiritual and the natural world I think that's very interesting that's what led me to think that oh maybe you know the this whole idea is that we humans are creatures of the earth we can't go looking for other other worlds on other planets because we are part of the earth we are one with the earth like our feelings our emotions our spirituality our artwork our philosophies they're all part one package with nature with our natural world we are as much a part of the earth as the earth is a part of us you know this kind of idea seems to be floating around in a lot of these movies um, yeah and also speaking of music and artwork and literature in the film The Mirror there seems to be a matryoshka effect a matryoshka effect yes in that like these masterpieces these classics these classical artworks are contained within a masterpiece the film the mirror itself and Tarkovsky seems to be doing this on purpose he knows that his movie is a masterpiece and he's putting a lot of uh, historical masterpieces into his own artwork right and there's and also the opening scene of mirror or the mirror the little boy he turns on the TV that's the very first opening scene of the mirror it's almost as if okay you're gonna start watching a movie and then you see this boy turn on the TV on the screen so it's almost like a matryoshka effect you know you see a movie within a movie and then you see an older boy being hypnotized by this like speech therapist at the very beginning of the mirror and you're like oh okay so probably in this movie I'm gonna be hypnotized <laughs> I'm like yeah you could interpret it that way right like this whole matryoshka effect the dream within the dream within the dream the the movie within the movie the hypno hypnosis within the hypnosis the the great masterpiece within the masterpiece mm. the mirror within a mirror that kind of thing and there are many scenes that are beautiful and I mean beautiful like so beautiful and I know the word beautiful is dangerous because it can be politicized I mean you know we a lot of us if we have his, studied history we know that Hitler he said you know beauty we must strive for beauty he said the Aryan race is beautiful or whatever he, he said everything that is not beautiful must be sent to like the gulags or or the concentration camps and historically the Nazis I mean the Nazis are from Germany Tarkovsky's from the Soviet Union, so from different sides of completely, in no sense, completely unrelated. But we know that the top people in the Nazi party, they went to operas and ballets and 
they were very much into classical artwork. So the concept of beauty can be misused and manipulated by politicians. And it can be a dangerous concept because you can say if something is not beautiful or someone is not beautiful, it's not worth existing. And that's a very dangerous thought to have. So I'm not saying that, you know, Tarkovsky films are the only beautiful films that ever existed and we shouldn't watch anything else. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Tarkovsky films have their own beauty, their own vibe, their own atmosphere that, you know, if we have the time and we could enjoy like on a Sunday afternoon with friends, just watch it or on your own, doesn't matter. Yeah, the, the, the concept of beauty is a tricky one. You know, the concept of beauty has been used so many times in history to discriminate or get rid of certain groups of people, which is very dangerous. So I will try to use the word beautiful as minimally as possible because, you know, if I just keep on saying Tarkovsky films are beautiful, they're beautiful. Yeah, but beautiful, the word beautiful, it's just so, this word can be used to describe so many different things that it almost has no meaning anymore. So yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say that Tarkovsky films are beautiful, especially the mirror. For example, the scene with the burning barn, it's, and the, the people just stand around and watch it, and the mother just goes and like sits on a well and just stares at it, does nothing about it, and then there's this other random guy just who just runs towards the barn and then kind of veers off, and it's just, they're like, what is, oh, mm, you know, it's, you know, when I used to watch this movie as a teenager, I was like, what does this fire represent? I think if we try to watch Tarkovsky's films as symbols, then you can interpret this fire in so many different ways. But now I think it's pointless to try to think of these things as symbols because maybe it doesn't symbolize anything. It's just there. It's just a part of nature. It's We don't have to interpret it. We just just let the fire work on your emotions that's that's pretty much how i feel about the movie now anyway and also the boy little boy swimming across this muddy pond towards the end of the film and you can almost feel the water you almost feel as if you're in the water with the little boy you remember some you know feelings from your own childhood of like swimming in a river or a pond or the ocean and it just makes you feel so nostalgic and then there's the scene where the mother is peeling potatoes and the little boy goes and tries to open the door maybe to try to communicate with his mother but the door doesn't open and then the little boy gives up and he walks away goes out of the, the view of the camera and then after he's gone the door suddenly opens of its own accord and then we see the mother peeling potatoes in there and there's this dog in there with her and then she's kind of like looking out and like hmm what was that and it's maybe this scene kind of represents this you know miscommunication between the son and the mother like the boy tried to reach out to the mom but the door wasn't open after he gave up you know the door just suddenly opened and she's kind of looking busy after him like peeling potatoes and it's a lot of this film is also centered on the slightly conflicted relationship between the son and the mother and you know the mother is a very central figure in this movie um, it almost makes you think uh, you know that the, the presence or the the influence or the very existence of the mother in our lives is such it has it plays a, such a it plays such a big role in our lives as people whether you're a man or a woman or something else um, the mother it's always she's always present right and 
our relationship to our mothers is, in a way, it's kind of crucial to who we become as humans, as, as people, and that's interesting. And uh, yeah, what else? And yeah, it's just I don't know these really dreamy scenes and. And uh, but you know, rewatching the mirror, I realized that each scene in itself, it's it's kind of weird and strange. But then there are these very logical, very clear transitions between the scenes that holds that hold the film together. For example, um, what was it? Like the very first transition. Um, where was it? Yeah. Ah, yeah. So so we see. The, the mother kind of walking around this dripping room and then she puts on a shawl and then she looks into a mirror and then she sees herself as an old woman. And the old woman, who is the mother, she looks at herself in the mirror and then the scene suddenly kind of, uh, this, this long take ends and we are, the next scene is in the present day. And the 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 main character who is called Alexei, presumably Tarkovsky himself, whose face we never see. We only hear his voice. The voice is voiced over by Innokenty Smoktonovsky, another great Soviet actor. He has a wonderful voice. Um, and and we suddenly you know hear the phone ring and then the phone ringing and then it's a phone call from his old mother. So there's this very clear logical transition between these two scenes. And then the old mother's voice says, uh, Lisa died today. Uh, who was Lisa? Oh, Lisa was the woman who I used to work with at the printing press back during the war. Do you remember Alexei? And Alice is like, oh yeah. what?" And then the, the next scene is we see the mother again as a young woman running into the printing press and she has this conversation with Lisa, whom she was just talking about in the present day. So there are these very clear, extremely clear uh, transitions like very logical actually transitions between the scenes that even though each scene is each long take is like dreamy and but the you know the sequence is very logical almost like there's a very uh, trans the transition is very natural and um, in any other sequence in any other order this movie would not have worked would have not have worked um, but it does it, it holds up it's great and also watching Tarkovsky films, you know, and the mirror included, you, you, you start to play with your own imagination. Uh, what is seen? What is unseen? There's a scene where the movie moves up to like a curtain and you don't see what's behind the curtain. Maybe there's nothing there, but you start wondering what's behind that curtain, you know, and uh, you start imagining what's behind that and so you start thinking not just about what is seen but what is unseen and there's lots of wind lots of curtains billowing in the wind and lots of bed sheets billowing in the wind and mirrors and fire and lights and these things in like chairs and like a bottle that suddenly falls off the table out of the blue after everyone has left the room I, I just love that it's such a subtle thing and it's also a little bit mystical and it's, it's just, yeah, I love that. And these things arouse within you, like, um, as viewers, like, personal emotional memories. And, you know, you cannot, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's like the geography of infancy, the geography of childhood, the memories of childhood, the space of childhood. And it's kind of shown here. And towards the end of the film we see a man who is lying in bed with an illness it almost seems as if he is um kind of 
nearing the end of his life. Maybe this is a premonition of, of you know, Tarkovsky's own untimely death um, in the 80s as a 50-something-year-old man. That's pretty early age to die. So it almost seems like a, he's predicting his own death, right? Um, and also, like, mm, the scenes portray the character's inner feelings, their inner states. Their inner states of mind, and there are lots of scenes where there's rain in the mirror. Also, also in his other films, including Stalker, the rain suddenly starts falling. Um, this is not so much symbolism; it doesn't mean anything. But it almost—it's almost portraying the character's state of mind. You know, the the rain. You know, it's like, oh, like if you start watching Tarkovsky scenes as like the portrayal of the character's inner state of mind, it starts to make sense. And there's lots of disorder in his films. Like the, his, <laughs> the house where this little boy grows up in the countryside in the mirror, it's not like there's things lying around and it's kind of you know messy and stuff. But then there's like a random bottle right lying around and we don't need to analyze them. We, it's almost like this, it's, it's, it's almost like showing our inner states, you know, like our memories are kind of scattered all over the place. Um, and you know, like this disorder is what kind of seems to make these films very humane almost and you know this kind of leads us to think of identity the identity crisis of the modern human so again like thinking about staring at yourself in the mirror it seems like our material world has become so torn away from our spiritual world and there is this unnecessary dichotomy Dichotomy, this is a noun, it means a division. There seems to be this dichotomy between the material world and the non-material supernatural world that maybe this dichotomy is unnecessary, you know. That's what I felt when I watched Tarkovsky movies. And we modern humans are obsessed with making sense of the material world. We like to put everything in numbers, in data, in logic, how much output we got, what results we got, you know, these things, which is necessary to some extent to make sense of the world. Yes, data is necessary, but if you become obsessed with data and numbers to the extent that you're kind of missing out on the spiritual side of humans, then that's almost like ignoring one part of who we are, right? Because, because we don't need to make sense of everything. And Tarkovsky films in themselves are proof of that. We don't need to make sense of his films because in a sense they don't make sense. So, that you know, this kind of like going against this trend of making sense. I, I, th I, would, I think that's the best way to kind of think of Tarkovsky movies. And maybe you know watching his films it you almost start feeling like you know this dichotomy is unnecessary because life and the cosmos itself is weird it's weird you know everything is weird and in uh, in a good way <laughs> and so i guess in conclusion i would like to say that tarkovsky films are not esoteric but they are weird in the best sense strange in the best sense mystical in the best sense and yeah like that's how i feel about this whole thing and it's you know this all kind of goes against almost the western uh against western notions of pragmatism materialism and progress and this 
line that's repeated that recurs in the mirror. Why are you rushing? You know, the doctor at the beginning says, "Plants and trees don't rush about. Why do we humans rush about?" And he goes on to say, by the way, this doctor is played by Anatoly Solonitsyn, who starred in four of Tarkovsky's seven films.、Um, yes, yes, that's yeah, that's true. And Anatoly Solonitsyn was. He was a huge fan of Tarkovsky, and his he devoted himself to Tarkovsky. And Solonitsyn,、uh, as the doctor, he says, "It's because we don't believe in the nature within us anymore." Wow, like that line seems to kind of encapsulate, like summarize the whole whole worldview presented in Tarkovsky films. Like that's like if you want a summary of Tarkovsky films, it's that.、Um, and by nature, you know, nature as in Like nature, the trees and the leaves, but that is also part of the spirituality of us as parts of nature. And、uh, whether we agree with that or not, it's up to each and every one of us to make sense of that, however way we want. We don't need to agree with it. And yeah, and so that seems to summarize it. And. You know, seeing nature as this kind of extension of the human heart, human spirituality, seeing nature as this beautiful place,、um, uh, the cosmos kind of thing, that really goes to show that Tarkovsky was a very romantic person. He was an idealist, right? Because if you're a biologist or a zoologist studying nature, you know that nature is not all beautiful. It's full of Drama, like like the insects and the trees are fighting in, for their lives. Like survival in nature is harsh. It's not an easy place to live. Like if you were a little insect or a tiger living in nature, I don't think you would have this very ideal like holistic view. I don't know. Like I've never been a tiger in nature, so I, I don't know. But. Well, you know, nature isn't all very nice and fluffy, and like connecting just the beautiful part of nature to, like, our spirituality and religious side. That's a very romantic, like, it's it, it's the typical way that a romantic would approach the portrayal of nature. So, yeah, I mean, Tarkovsky's view of nature is is one one way to show nature, but that doesn't mean that we need to agree with it. We just need to okay, that is one way. That we can think of nature as being an extension of our inner souls, this kind of thing, and you know, I mean, I mean, you know, I think that's a valid point to make in its own right, I guess.、Um, not, you know, and I'm also not a fan of the other side where people are like, nature is all about fighting and it's all about survival. This is the way that National Geographic and a lot of like. Modern day twenty first century、um, Netflix uh, uh, nature documentaries like present nature is like oh it's this battleground it's like the gladiator <laughs> like you need to fight for your survival and,、uh, and this is that's also like、uh, like you know that's also one sided it's like I'm I'm sure part of it is true but anyway yeah I'm gonna wrap this up and. Uh, so the link to the movie The Mirror is in the description below. So if you want to check it out, please do. And what do you guys think about modern humans? And if you have watched Tarkovsky films, or if you're going to watch them, what do you think of Tarkovsky films? These two questions.、Um, let me know. 
send me an email or leave a comment on Instagram. Um, I'm thinking of starting a Telegram group for uh, the podcast, English with Kaya. And if I do, please join. Let me know what you think. And if there are topics that you want me to cover in the podcast, please let me know. And also, if you liked this episode, if you enjoyed it, if you got something out of it, please leave a review and a rating on the podcast, on the app that where you're listening to this podcast. That would be really great and helpful. Thank you so much. And also, um, I will be, so the Japanese section of this podcast will be starting in a few minutes after this English section is finished. So if you want to listen to the Japanese version of what we were just talking about,、um, please stay, stay tuned.、Um, and、uh, yeah, we'll start in that in a minute. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy Tarkovsky movies as much as I do. By the way, all his movies are super long, so if you only have like an hour to spare and you want, to, you want some sense of what his films are like, I recommend that you watch the film that he made as a student. It's called The Steamroller and the Violin. It's also, this is also on YouTube, the full film, and it is only 45 minutes. And this film is n- not incomprehensible. It is very comprehensible, but it already has that Tarkovsky vibe that I was talking about. So if you have like 45 minutes, you want to watch a Tarkovsky film, start with that one. Tarkovsky himself, he didn't like the steamroller and the violin. He never counted it、uh, as among his like proper works、um, in interviews and stuff. But personally, I, I really like this film. It's, I believe it won like, some prize at the Student Film Festival in New York because、um, when Tarkovsky was making movies, there was already the Thaw period, the Khrushchev period in the Soviet Union, so they could send movies to the West. And so, yeah, maybe start with that one. And yeah, anyway, so thank you so much for listening, and I will see you guys in the next episode.、Um, Yeah, let's keep on thinking about our place in the cosmos and the paranormal and the normal. Anyway, yeah, so see you soon and have a wonderful week. Konnichiwa, Kyo mo podcast English with Kaya. O kite itadaki, makoto ni arigato gozaimasu. Nasan, genki desu ka? Kyo wa, watashi wa, Russia no ega kantoku, Andre Tarkovsky to kare no kessaku. 鏡という映画について話したいと思いますまずその前に、えっと、このポッドキャストを聞いているのであればインスタグラムで English10 with10 かやのアカウントをフォローしていただきそこであのコメントなどをしていただければ嬉しいですまた次今後このようなトピックについて話してもらいたいとかそういうご希望のある方はぜひ私の方にメールしてください。english.with.kaya.gmail.com がメールです。はい。そして、えー、それでは今日のトピックに戻りましょう。ということで、本日話すロシア、まあ、当時はソ連だったわけですけれども、の映画監督、アンドレイ・タルコフスキーと彼の映画の鏡についてですが、この映画、鏡は、その全体の映画が YouTube で見ることができます。YouTube で The Mirror、Andrei Tarkovsky と打ち込むと、初めから最後まで映画が YouTube に載っています。そして英語の字幕がついていますので
ご興味のある方はぜひ見てみてくださいそしてタルコスキの映画すべて今 YouTube ですべてを見ることができます英語の字幕付きですぜひご関心のある方は見てみてくださいそして YouTube で見れる鏡のリンクをこの本日のエピソードの下の解説のところに載せておきますのでご興味のある方はそちらをクリックして映画を見てみてください本日はいつもと比べると少し知的な話知的な話<笑>になるんですかねタルコスキーという映画監督と彼の作品について話しますなぜこのテーマを選んだかというとうんなんかちょっと知的なテーマについて話してみたいなと思って私アンドレ・タルコスキーの本当に大ファンなんでぜひ彼の作品については話したいなとずっと思っていて今後もこういう映画とか本の話とかをエピソードでポッドキャストでしていければ楽しいかなと思っていますそして本日使う単語は新しい言葉がたくさんあります英語の単語そして全て一つ一つ説明している時間はないので英語の部分で使った新しい少しアカデミックな単語は全て本日のエピソードの解説の部分に載せてありますので意味がちょっとわからなかったな確認したいな、えー、綴りを確認したいなどという方はぜひ今日本日のエピソードの解説の部分で単語を確認しながら英語のセクションを聞いてみてください、はい、では始めましょうアンドレ・タルコスキーさん一体何者だったのかということで彼は1932年にロシア本日のロシア当時はソ連でしたのイヴァノヴォ州という田舎で生まれまれしたそして54歳の時に1986年フランスのパリでがんが死因でしたそこで亡くなりました54歳結構若いですよねそして彼は生きている間に7本映画を撮りました一つ一つが名作傑作ですそしてそのうちの5本は、えー、イワンの少年時代アンドレイ・ルブリョフソラリス鏡そしてストーカーはソ連にいる間に撮影しましたそして1979年にソ連を後にしてヨーロッパ西ヨーロッパに亡命しますそしてヨーロッパに亡命した後でイタリアでノスタルジアという作品を一本撮ってその後一番最後に死ぬ前にスウェーデンでサクリファイスという映画を撮影しましたこのサクリファイスは彼が大好きだったスウェーデンの映画監督イングマール・ベルイマンの俳優たちと映画の撮影するクルーたちを使って撮影した名作ですちなみに若い頃タルコフスキーはモスクワの映画学校で映画撮影を学びました彼の作品は映画史の中で最も素晴らしい傑作の一つとされ一つというか、うん、たくさんある名作の中のそのまあ、本当にトップの傑作のうちのだというふうに考えられています彼は同時代の映画監督例えばイングマール・ベルイマンだったり日本の黒澤明ほかにもたくさん素晴らしい映画監督たちがいますが彼らに大きな影響を与えて今日も現代の映画監督たちに影響を与え続けています私が一番好きなタルコスキー映画は「鏡」です2番目に好きなのがサクリファイスですそして3番目に私が好きなのはソラリスです全ていいんですけどこの3つが大好きです鏡は私が見たタルコスキー映画の一番1本目でした
これを私は11歳あるいは12歳の誕生日の時に親からプレゼントとして DVD をもらって見て脳みそが爆発しましたいい意味で爆発しましたというのは11歳12歳ってすごくあの心が敏感な時期じゃないですかそして当時私ハリー・ポッター読んでたり<笑>ハリー・ポッター読んでる11歳の子が突然タルコスキーの鏡を見てウォーみたいな脳みそが違う次元にぶっ飛んでしまいました<笑>あの私の親はね結構私が若い頃たくさんプレゼントを誕生日の時にくれてタルコスキー映画とかベルイマン映画とか他のアートハウス映画とかあとドストエフスキーとかゴーゴリとかチェーホフニーチェとかそういう世界文学世界哲学の本とかを誕生日にくれてすごく面白い教育だと思います当時まだ2000年代だったので、うん、当時まだ DVD の時代でしたね今は DVD 誰も見ないですよね今は Amazon プライムとか Netflix とか YouTube で皆さん映画を見ると思うんですけど当時は DVD の時代でしたというわけで鏡を11歳12歳の時見ておーびっくりしましたね、うん、ではじゃあタルコスキー映画がなぜそんなに特別なのかスペシャルなのかというので少しウィキペディアから引用してきた英文の解説を、まあ、ちょっと日本語にして読んでみますタルコスキー映画は人間のスピリチュアル精神的また哲学的なテーマを扱っていてとてもカメラがゆっくり動きその間でカットがないわけですねそして夢のような動画夢のようなシーンそして自然と記憶などといったテーマがよく出てきますというのがウィキペディアの定義ですまさにその通りなんですねタルコスキー映画を見ているとなんか脳みそがある state of mind ある精神状態のに入っていくんですねなんか催眠術にかけられたみたいな、うん、そしてあるこう雰囲気タルコスキーの雰囲気みたいなのがあるんですよねこれがうんなんかこう見てる人の心の中にうんなんか浸透してくるわけですね、うん、でタルコスキー映画ってよく難しいとか難解だとか哲学的だとかとといいいうふうに思思われているんでなんか分かりにくいと思っている人が多いと思うんですねでも最近私タルコウスケがなんか100回目ぐらいに見直していていや彼の作品は何回英語だとエソテリックですねなわけではなくて哲学的なわけでも特になくて彼の作品は非常に感情的なんだなっていうことに最近気がついてきました。というのは確かに不可解なんですよね彼の絵があの理解不可能なんです、まあ、英語だと inexplicable incomprehensible impossible to understand なんですけどでもそれがそれを分析したりなんかこのシンボリズムは何だこれは何を象徴しているそういうふうに考える必要は果たしてないのではないかと最近感じてきましたというのは彼の作品を見ると一人一人の視聴者が違う解釈違う受け止め方をができてそれがその作品の素晴らしさを証明していると思うわけですタルコスキー映画は脳みそで理解するものではなくて心で理解する心で感じるものだというふうに思っています
しかし、まあ、確かに彼の作品の中で、まあ、7つ映画がありますが全ての中でこう、まあ、一般的なテーマとして何回も浮上してくるなと思われるのはいわゆる反進歩主義反技術主義反テクノロジー主義なわけです。タルコスキーはえー、なんかすごいなんか20世紀の第二次世界大戦が終わった後のテクノロジー現代技術が爆発的に進歩していくのを目の当たりにした世代なわけでそれ,それに対して彼は非常に。えっと、懐疑的だったわけですね技術は常に進歩して人間は前に進んでいくというそういう進歩主義に彼はものすごく反抗して彼は反動的な理想主義者だったわけですね。ねだって彼のテクノロジーに対する懐疑的な視点っていうのは本日も我々が共有するものであって例えば今 AI とか。チャット GPT が出てきたりそれに対して我々は少し、うん、これは人間の将来にどういうものをもたらすのだろうって少し不安感を感じる人もいると思うので、まあ、それは今でも我々が共感できるテーマではあると思います面白いエピソードがあってタルコスキーは見る価値の,え価値のある映画は1本の手だけで数えられるつまり5本程度しかないと。言ったぐらい彼は映画に関して言えばエリート主義だったわけですねイングマール・ベルイマンとか黒澤明とかそういうトップの人たちの傑作しか見る価値はないとその他の映画はクス,クスだみたいなそれぐらいすごくあの映画に関して言えばエリート主義のな方だったわけでしかし彼が唯一褒めたハリウッド映画は「ターミネーター」だったそうで「ターミネーター」を見た後でこれは「我々人類の将来をううまく描写していると言ったそうですハリウッドなんてきっとクズみたいなふうに思ってたタルコスキーがそう言ったので、まあ、つまり、まあ、テクノロジーは人間を滅ぼしてしまうのではないかみたいなそういう結構保守的な反動的な、えー、理想主義者だったのですこの方はそしてタルコスキーは非常に宗教的でスピリチュアルな精神的な魂のを重視する人だったわけでこれは無宗教を唱えていたソ連とはもちろん矛盾する立場だったわけでまた彼はそのミスティカルな不思議な不,不可思議な世界また催眠術にかけられたようなそういう超自然的な世界に興味があったわけでもちろんこれは非常に物質に重点を置くソ連という。大国の中では非常に、まあ、それに合致しないそれに合わない考え方生き方だったわけですねそして1968年にアメリカの映画監督スタンリー・キューブリックが撮影した2001年宇宙の旅という名作がありますこれも YouTube で見ることができますぜひおすすめしますこれを見てタルコスキーはこの映画を気に入りませんでしたというのは2001年宇宙の旅だと人類が常に一直線上に進歩していくいつか人間はテクノロジーというものを超越して神様のような超自然的なスーパーヒューマンなんかスーパークリーチャーみたいなものに生まれ変わるつまり常に前進していく人類みたいなふうに人類史を描いた作品なわけです2001年宇宙の旅は。これに対してタルコフスキーはそれへのある意味で答えアンチテーゼとして
1970年代だったかなにソラリスという映画を撮影しますソラリスの中で彼は我々人類の居場所はここ地球に他ならない我々は前進している進歩しているわけではなくてもともと我々の中にある精神的なスピリチュアルなそういう側面を現代人は忘れていってしまっていてそれに戻るべきだみたいなそういうアンチテーゼを呈したわけですタルコスキー映画を見ていると確かに今現代人というのは宗教的だったりスピリチュアル精神的な世界からそういうものを忘れて忘却切り捨ててしまってあまりにも唯物論物質論主義的な世界にだけにこだわりすぎていてしかそれによって現代人の心には分裂ができてしまっているので人間をよりこう全体的に見るべきだつまり人間のスピリチュアルだったり精神的な側面超自然的な側面プラスその唯物論的な実際に触って感じられるものそれは全て一つなんか二つの別々のものではなくてそれは一つのものなのだその間に線を引いて分ける必要はないんだみたいなことをタルコスキーは映画の中で見せているような気が私はしますえそして確かに現代人っていうのは、まあ、昔はね神様が神々がいたりうーんとゴブリンがいたり魔女がいたりそういうものを実際皆さん信じてたわけでそれが現実の一部だったわけですよねしかし、えー、産業革命以後我々はあまりにも目に見えるものだけを信じる,信じるようになってしまいあまりにも唯物論あまりにも、うん、その物質中心主義にこだわりすぎて例えば現代社会では目に見えない超自然的なものは子供っぽい子供のためのファンタジー魔女とかゴブリンが出てくるのはそれは子供のための妖精もそうですよねあ子供のためのおとぎ話っていうふうにこうふうに決めつけていたりなんか神秘的で隠されたものなんかチベットの僧侶たちがやっている魔法の儀式とかあなんかちょっと隠された世界もしくはホラー映画みたいに恐ろしいもの我々の現実に侵入してきてしまった我々に害を与えるものそういうふうに子供っぽいか神秘的かあるいは恐ろしいものというふうにこう他者化し,しているじゃないですか現代人はあの超自然的な現象をしかしタルコスキーの映画を見ているといや超自然的なものは子供っぽくもないし恐ろしいものでもないそれは私たち一人一人の中にあるものなのだ我々その物質世界との一部なんだよっていうふうに彼の映画を訴えているように見えますそうなんですうんその彼の映画を見てると本当にそう感じますそしてそ,そ,うそういうふうに彼の映画は最近私はそういうふうに見えてきましたそしてタルコスキー映画を見ているとスピリチュアルな不思議な世界と実際に見える自然界をこう合体させて一つにさせているだから、まあ、例えばタルコスキー映画を見てあ宗教的にならないといけないとか,なんかカルトに、えー、入団しないといけないとかそう,いうそういう話では全くなくてそういう意味での宗教的な線のとかそういう話ではなくて純粋に一人の個人として自分の中にある精神的な側面をもう少し
大事にしてみるかというそういう姿勢が少しできるぐらいそ,のそれぐらいで捉えていいと思いますそしてタルコスキー映画には必ず、えっと、自然界っていうのが出てきますその自然界というのは風だったり火だったりうんと大地だったり大地に植わっている木とか植物とか葉っぱだとかあと水ポタポタ流れる水とか水滴だったり他にどういうのがあるかなうんそうとあ,とあと風ですね風、えっと、木をそよがす風とかあとはあと犬陸の動物の犬空の生き物の鳥とかもう一つの彼の別の絵がストーカーの中では犬と鳥とあと水の生き物の魚も出てきます必ずこういう生き物だったり自然界の現象がいつも必ず彼の映画の中には出てきますしかしそれが我々の内面のスピリチュアルな世界と切り離されたものではなくて我々の内面の延長線上にある我々の内面と同じものを同一視しているわけですねえー、それで我々の心の中の自然とその自然界の自然を同じものとして彼は捉えていてそういう意味ですごくロマン派的な、えー、っと理想主義者の芸術家なのかなというふうに思います、えーまあ、これまでずっとタルコスキーのことを褒めっぱなしだったと思うんですけど一つ私が彼の映画そして彼の人物としてすごく嫌いなことがあってそれは。彼のの女性との関係なわけですあと映画の中で彼が描く女性像が非常に気に食わないです。というのは彼は人間としても女性が大好きだったらしくて、まあ、2回結婚して他にもたくさん女性とあ、まあ、不倫たくさん、まあ、とにかく女の人が好きだったわけですね彼は。まあ、それもなんかうーって感じなんですけどだから実際タルコスキーが会わなくてよかったと思ってもう会って人間として会ったらなんか彼の映画の素晴らしさと人間としての絵みたいなところがちょっとギャップが激しくてちょっと失望してしまったと思うんであの<笑>現実世界では、まあ、会うことなくてよかったと思ってるんですけど、うん、あと彼の映画の中で女性っていうのは常に。主人公の男性の奥さんだったり主人公の男性の恋人もしくは娘として描かれていて、えー、非常にこうセクシュアルなんかいかにも女性っぽく描かれているんですねすごく理想化されているもしくは悪魔化されているもしくは魔女みたいな感じで描かれていて常に女性というステレオタイプの役割でしか現れてこないわけです一人の人間として女性男性関係なく一個の人間として物事を考えて感じている人間としての女性は彼の先には現れませんはい非常にあの見ていて不愉快ですこれはあまあうんこれまあただからこれはねちょっと彼のよろしくない側面で、まあ、確かなんか女性に対する差別的な発言とかも彼していてうんなんか映画の中でもそれチラチラチラっと感じられる場面がよくあってなるもうタルコスキーこれだけなんとかしてくださいとちょっと言いたくなりますねはい、はい、では彼の作品「鏡」について本日ちょっと話しますね、えー、鏡というのは1975年に撮影されてリリースされた作品で75年だから50年前ですよね半世紀前に撮影された作品ですが全く古いとは感じませんまるで昨日撮影されたかのような斬新さ新鮮さ新しさがあります素晴らしい作品ですそしてこれはタルコスキー自身の自伝彼自身の経験
や子供時代、えー、などが元になっている部分もあると言われています、えー、そして大事なのがあらすじ the plot がないんですねそして、えー、現在と、えー、過去と未来がなんかぐにゅぐにゅになんか現在の話してたと思ったら突然昔の話に飛んでて昔の話してたと思ったら突然なんかえっと夢の話になっててなんかとにかく一直線上のあらすじはありませんそしてこの作品は夢なのか幻想なのか幻覚なのか1人の人の記憶なのかそれとも2人の人複数の人の記憶なのかそれとも別の人の経験を再解釈したものなのか正直見ていて分かんなくなってきますで分かる必要ないと思うんですよだって分からないことが楽しいわけですね彼の映画を見ていてで例えばタルコフスキーのお母さんの役を演じる女優が現代のタルコフスキーの奥さんの役,役も演じていて若い時のタルコフスキーを演じている少年の子役が現代のタルコフスキーの息子の役も演じているわけですつまり世代間なんか世,代世代から世代に受け継がれてきた記憶なんか一人の人じゃなくてなんか世代の記憶なのかなとか思うこともあるしまた20世紀のいろんな出来事第二次世界大戦だったり確か広島の爆弾の映像もあったような気がするんですけれどもそういう20世紀のいろんな出来事のドキュメンタリー動画も使っていてつまり20世紀の記憶なのかなとかもしくはその個人の感情的な主観的な記憶とドキュメンタリー的な事実としての歴史の記憶が対象されて対比されているのかなそれとも20世紀全体の記憶なのかななんかいろんな解釈が可能だと思います、えー、そしてある場面で第二次世界大戦中にロシアの田舎なんか雪に埋もれた大自然の中で少年たちが、えー、戦争に向けて銃を撃つ練習をしている場面がありますここでタルコスキーの若い頃を演じている少年から焦点が少しずれて別の少年に焦点が当てられる場面がいくつかあってあじゃあタルコスキーとは別のまた別の人の子供時代の記憶もここで描かれているのかなで確かに鏡を撮影した時のカメラマンの人がタルコスキーだけではなくて僕の少年時代も。この映画の中で描いたみたいなことをどっかで言ってるんですねだから確かにタルコスキーだけじゃなくて複数の人の記憶が描かれているすごいに重層的な記憶の映画なわけですそしてまあなんか有名なのか現実なのか過去の記憶なのか何なのかよく分かんなくなってきます見ているうちにでも分からないから面白いっていう側面があるんですねだ,だからつまり見ている我々が今何起こっているのえこれは誰の視点なの夢なの現実なのなな何が何なのっていうふうに考えるわけじゃないですかだから考えることによって私たちも映画の中の参加者映画の中で一緒にその映画の意味を作る主体になっていけるわけですつまり映画監督はこれがこういう意味です全部全て決まったものをこちらに出してきたら我々は一方的になされたものを解釈するしかないわけでしかし解釈不可能だからこそ一緒に映画を視聴者として解釈して作るクリエイターに我々もなれるわけですそれが面白いわけですそして何回もうんと反復されるテーマなどがあります例えば一番初めにタルコフスキーのお母さんが田舎の家の前にあるフェンスの上に座っている時になんかお医者さんみたいな男性が遠方から現れて
、えー、我々人間はなぜいつも急いでいるのか木とか植物はどこにも急がないのになぜ人間はいつも忙しくしてあちこち走り回るのだろうねというセリフを言いますでそしてその後でいくつかシーンその後でタルコスキーのお母さんが戦争中に働いていた印刷所に走り込んでいく場面がありますそこで彼女が走っている時に入り口に立っているガードみたいな人がなぜそんなに急いでいるのというふうに聞きますそしてまたその後で現代のシーンでタルコスキーの奥さんがバッグの中身を落としてしまってそれを拾おうとしている時に手伝ってくれている息子に対して急ぐ必要はないからっていうふうに言いますな,なんか意味は別にないんだけどもそういう反復されるテーマだとかそれがその映画の催眠術的な夢のようなクオリティ性質を生み出していると感じますそしてまた鏡の中でよく出てくるまた鏡だけじゃなくて他のタルコスキー映画でもよく使われるテクニックなんですけれども登場人物たちはたくさん話すわけですけれども話す彼らが何も話さないで沈黙して黙り込んで。黙っている登場人物たちをひたすらカメラが追うという場面も時々ありますこういう場面を見ている時に我々はこの何も言わない登場人物は一体今何を考えてどんなことを感じているんだろうというふうに試行錯誤してうんこの人は何考えてんだろうって我々視聴者が考え始めるわけですねこれがまあ逆に面白いわけです一人一人違うね解釈していくと思いますそしてそういうのを数分間うーんと考えているうちに催眠術にかけられたような状態に入っていくわけです我々がでそしてその後で登場人物たちが哲学的な人生の意味は何だろうとかなんかそういうモノローグとか対話を始めるわけですそこでまたその後でまた沈黙になって音楽バッハが流れたりするわけですそで音楽を聴きながらうーんさっき登場人物が言っていたなんかあの哲学的なことはどういう意味でこの映画この物語のコンテキストの中でなぜそういうこれを言ったんだろうこの登場人物はどういう意図を持ってなぜ今こういう言葉を発したんだろうどういう気分なんだろうこの人はというふうにまた私たち思い巡らすわけですねそしてその後またモノローグとか対話があってでなんかそ,ういうのそういうのを繰り返しているうちに私たちの脳みそが自分の意識から自分の脳みそからどんどんこう離れてどっか遠いなんか催眠術の世界なんかいろんな感情とか記憶自分の記憶とか自分の考えとか思いの世界にこうふわふわふわふわと意識が飛んでいくわけですそして答えがあるわけではないわけですねつまり映画の中で描かれている記憶とか思い出感情人間関係夢なんかそういうものと我々自身の記憶とか経験がこういつの間にかぐしゃぐしゃぐしゃっとこう混ざってきているんですね。というのはなんかね「鏡」っていう映画見てるとなんか自分の自分自身の子供時代のことがすごく懐かしく感じられるんです。子供時代にタルコフスキーが住んでいた田舎のお家の場面とか,なんかベッドシートが風でビューッと飛んだりそこに突然鏡があったりそこになんか牛乳がこぼれていたりそういうのが。見てるとすごくなんか懐かしい気分になってくるんですね自分が子供時代に過ごした自然の中での体験とか親戚の家でのあと親の家での経験とかなぜかこう体で体感したそういうのが蘇ってくるわけですすごいですね本当に催眠術ですねで
あのタルコスキーはね後ほどイタリアに亡命した後でイタリアで「ノスタルギア」という「ノスタルジア」「ノスタルギア」うん、という別の作品も撮っているんですけれどもこの「鏡」という映画を「ノスタルジア」というタイトルでリリースしても全然違和感ないと思いますそれだけ見ていて自分の過去の経験若い時の経験子供時代の思い出などが本当にあ懐かしいという感じで蘇ってくる映画だからなんですだからノスタルジアと読んでも全然いいと思います、うんまあ、鏡という映画なんですけどもそしてまずそれで、まあ、記憶だったりあと意識の流れですね意識の流れなのか無意識の流れなのかまあどうしたのかよく分かんないのがそれが映像で描かれているというふうに感じますそして先ほども申し上げた通りにタルコスキーは非常に反動的な芸術家だったわけです現代のテクノロジーとかが嫌いで我々は過去のスピリチュアルな世界に戻るべきだみたいな結構彼自身がノスタルジックな人間で常に過去を見ていた人だったんですねだからまあ彼が自分の人生の過去を振り返る映画を作ったっていうのは当たり前のことなのかもしれないわけですがそして彼がその常に過去のことを気にしているっていうのはサクリファイスという映画の中でも最初の方で主人公の人が14世紀15世紀にロシアで活躍したイコンを描く画家イコン画家っていうのが当時いたわけでアンドレイ・ルブリョフという人のイコン画のアルバムみたいなのを見る場面があってちなみにアンドレイ・ルブリョフを主人公にしたアンドレイ・ルブリョフという映画をタルコフスキー自身も撮っているわけですけれどもサクリファイスの映画の中でアンドレイ・ルブリョフの遺恨画を見ながら主人公がなんという素晴らしい作品だみたいなセリフを言う場面があるわけですつまり中世だとか昔の人類の文明に対するタルコスキーの憧れというか懐かしく感じるそういうものが常に作品の中で感じられるように私は思いますそして1919年にオランダの歴史学者彼の名前なんだっけヨハン・ホイジンガーが書いた「中世の秋」という本がありますこれを私は10代の時に読んだんですけれども「中世の秋」の中でホイジンガーが言っていたことで非常に印象的だったのがホイジンガー曰く「昔の人は非常に感情が強かった」言い換えれば「昔の人は非常に強い寂しさとか喜びとか悲しみとか」まあ、悲しみに対してその喜びだとか、うん、他には非常に強い憎しみに対して強い愛情だったりそういう感情が感情のレベルが今と比べてずっと強かったのではないかとホイジンガーは言っているわけですつまり現代だとまず薬がたくさんあるので昔の人はすぐ病気になったら死んでしまう可能性が高かったわけでそれでもちろん絶望とか恐怖とか、えー死に対すする意識が昔の人はより敏感だったわけですねそれに対して今はお薬とか手術とかそういうのがあるからそういう意味での外的要因での死亡率は下がりましたというわけでそれに対して恐怖心だったり恐ろしい死に対する意識というのが若干薄れてきた今の人間は。そして昔の人はそれに対して強い喜びもあったと。うん、例えば現あともちろんテクノロジーですね例えば昔の人は海外に引っ越したとして新しい町に引っ越したとしてそしたら現地の友達は初めの頃はいません、えー、頼れる親戚友達家族がいません
とても寂しいです夏目漱石がイギリスに留学した時のことを想像すれば分かりますよね初、えー、めの人友達いません寂しいです最悪です、えー、うつ病にかかります昔の人はそれ,それっきりだったわけですよねだってスマホもないしネットもないしとにかく孤独とか恐怖心とかそういうものを強く感じる状況が備わっていたわけですしかし夏目漱石が例えば21世紀に生まれていたら、まあ、彼イギリスに留学したとしますそしたらスマホありますスマホで世界のどこにでも世界の反対側に住んでいる違う国に住んでいる友達とすぐ連絡取れますインスタでつながれますズームとかメッセンジャーとかチャットとかですぐ動画で友達と話せます家族とすぐつながれます昔友達だった人ともすぐネットでつながれられますなんか寂しいな困ったなと思ったらネットで情報を得られますネットで友達見つけられます非常に便利な時代になりました21世紀はつまり現代人は強い孤独感とか強い恐怖心とかそういうのを感じる状況を排除できるようになったわけですよねなんかそれを超越できるようになって今私たちはいつでもとても居心地のいい状況を自分のために作ることができるようになったわけですテクノロジーのおかげででも悲しさとか孤独とか恐怖とかそういうものがなくなったからこそじゃあ強い喜びはあるのかと聞かれるとちょっとわからないんですけど私は21世紀のテクノロジーが大好きなんであでもテクノロジーにはもちろんマイナスもたくさんあると思いますよねいいことだけではない害もたくさんありますなのでよし悪しだとは思うんですがつまりホイジンガーが言っていたのは昔の人は今の人より感情が強かったよというわけですタルコスキー映画見てるとホイジンガーの言葉の意味が少し分かってきたような気がしてタルコスキー映画の人ってに出てくる登場人物はみんなすごい悲しんでたりなんか孤独心と戦っていたりだからとにかく感情が強いわけですねだからああこの人たちは昔の人類がより強い感情を感じていた時代の世界を描いているのかなタルコスキーの過去への執着過去へのを常に見るそう,いうそういう姿勢が反映されているのかななどと思いながら彼の作品を見ていました、えーうん、そういう強い感情とかねそしてタルコスキーが見てておかしいのが登場人物いつも苦しんでるわけですなんかああ私の人生の意味は一体何なんだろうとか<笑>、えー、一体何のためにこれをやってんだろうとか私の人生の意味何も意味ないじゃないかみたいなそういう悲しいことばかり考えてなんかうつうつしてる登場人物が多いわけですねそんなに苦しむ必要ないでしょうって言いたくなるんですけど、えー、でタルコスキー見てるとあロシア正教は、まあ、私はロシア正教とか宗教のことそこまで詳しくないんですがしかしまあロシア正教のことで知っているのはロシア正教だとこの世で苦しめば苦しめば苦しむほどあの世に行った時にご褒美が大きいいいことがあるつまり天国で神様に救われるためには生きている間に苦しむ必要があるよという考えがロシア正教にあるそうですこれはドストエスキーとかロシア文学にも反映されていてドストエスキーの登場人物たちとかみんなうつ病でみんななんかあ殺人してしまったあ人生の意味は何だみたいな哲学しながらうつうつしてて苦しみまくっててあのタルコスキーに出てくる登場人物も同じなんですねみんななんかドストエスキーの作品が出てきたような苦しみまくってる人たちなわけですそしてロシア文学もそうであるように
タルコスキーの映画も登場人物たちは哲学とか倫理とか人生の意味とか一体価値は何だろう愛は何だろうとかそういう私は何者だろうとかそういうことをずっとディスカッションしているわけです作品の中でしかし作品そのものは特に哲学的なわけではなくて作品全体はすごい感情的なわけですドストエフスキーがそうですよね登場人物たちはいつも哲学の話しててでも作品自体はすごくこうフィーリングに人間の感情に訴えるものなんですタルコスキーも全く同じで登場人物たちはいつも哲学的な話をしているから初めてタルコスキー映画を見る人はあこれは哲学的な映画なんだと思っちゃうわけですでも実際見てみるとタルコスキーの映画自体は哲学的ではなくて感情的なんですフィーリングの映画なんですでも登場人物たちは哲学チックなことを話してるわけですなんかねロシア文学とかっぽいですよねすごくドステスキーとタルコスキーってそういう意味ですごく共通点が多くてタルコスキーは一時期まだソ連にいる時にドストエフスキーの白地を映画化したかったらしくって何回もソ連の映画賞みたいなそういうところにその申請を出してでも毎回拒否されて結局タルコスキーは白地を映画化せずに他界してしまったわけなんですけれどもでもそういうわけだからねタルコスキーとドストエフスキーのコンビで白地が映画化されていた。まあど,んどういうことになってたかちょっとすごく気になるんですけどそういうもんなんだなと思ってタルコスキー映画を見ればいいかと思いますそしてまた鏡の話に戻ると鏡を見てるとじゃあ我々は人間一体何なのか何者なのか人間としてまあ夢のような記憶だったり幻覚だったり欲望だったり矛盾だったり人間関係だったりなんかそういうものがごちゃごちゃと集まったものがその総合物体が我々のアイデンティティなのかでも記憶がどれだけ信用できるものか分かんないし我々の記憶は我々の感情に非常に影響を受けて歪められているし、うん、じゃあそれが我々のアイデンティティなのかなうんみたいなふうに思いながら鏡を見るわけですね我々は。そして自分が何者なのかと問いかけることなんですけれどもよく鏡の中で登場人物たち例えばタルコスキーのお母さんを演じる女優さんとかタルコスキーの子供の頃を演じる少年だったり映画の最後の方で登場するタルコスキーの2人目の奥さんのラリッサ・タルコスカヤという人が演じる小さな役があるんですけれどもそこで登場人物たちがよく鏡の中を覗き込んでずっとじっと自分の顔を眺める場面がよく出てきますある場面ではタルコスキーの少年時代なのかなと思われる少年がずっとその自分の,の目の中を鏡の中でずっと眺めてカメラが鏡に映っている彼の顔にこうズームインしていく場面があってそれでクラシック音楽が流れるんですけどこういうのを見ててあ我々人間は毎朝洗面所に行って鏡を見て。夜寝る前も洗面所で鏡を見て自分の顔を見て自分が自分であることつまり昨日の自分が今日の自分と同じ人間であるということを鏡で自分の顔を見ることによって確認して再確認しているのがあるのかなみたいなふうに私は感じたわけですね。それでで別のの作品ソラリスの中でハリスハという
女性の登場人物がいてその人、まあ、その映画の中では彼女は幻覚として現れる登場人物なんですけどその人が鏡の中をずっと見て自分の顔を見て鏡から目をそらした途端に自分の顔が思い出せなくなる私は一体何者なのっていうふうに問いかけるセリフがあるわけですねこの場面を見てあタルコスキーの別の作品鏡によく出てくるテーマじゃないかと思ったわけですつまり我々は鏡で自分を見ることによって自分が自分であることを一生懸命自分に再確認してるわけじゃないですか例えば精神分裂障害とかあまあ、い,ろいろんなのがあると思うんですけどそういうのになった方はきっと鏡の中を見た時にそこに映っている顔が自分だっていうふうにきっと同一視できなくなるんだと思うんですよねそして例えば鏡から目をそらしたら自分の顔が思い出せなくなるとか、まあ、これはねアルツハイマーとかの症状の一つでもあるかもしれないんですけれどもつまり鏡に映っている自分の顔といろんな記憶とか体験を背負った自分という人間が同じ人間だというふうに同一視できている状態これがまあ自己統一した状態でタルコスキーは鏡という作品を作ることによって同じことをしているわけですよね鏡の中を見て自分を見つめて私の記憶私の子供時代私のこれまでの感情や思い出を映像にして皆さんにお届けするという感じで鏡を彼が鏡を見つめる作品なんですね鏡という作品自体が、うん、そして、まあ、鏡の中では白黒の場面もあればうんとカラーの場面もあって白黒、まあ、モノクロの場面はタルコフスキーというか,、うん、なんか夢の場面なのだというふうに私は解釈しています白黒の場面が。そしてまた人間が言葉という現象に対して抱いている愛情みたいな恋愛感みたいなそういうのも感じられてタルコフスキーの実のお父さんがアルセーニー・タルコフスキーという当時ソ連で結構有名だった詩人兼翻訳家だったわけですねそしてアルセーニー・タルコフスキーが書いた詩をアルセーニー・タルコフスキー自身がタルコフスキーの絵が鏡の中で彼のの声がその詩を朗読しているわけですつまり言葉に対する人間の愛情みたいなその人間のスピリチュアルな側面を形にしてコミュニケーション手段の言葉で表すものスピリチュアルな世界とそれを理解する脳みその間に立ってくれる橋としての言葉みたいなそういう感じで。アルセーニー・タルコスキーの詩がアンドレイ・タルコスキーの映画の中で出てくるわけですまた彼の詩だけではなくてプーシキンがチャーダエフに書いた手紙ロシアの立場ロシアのアイデンティティは何なのかということを問いかける手紙を少年が朗読する場面も鏡という映画の中で出ていきますそしてこの人間がこれまで残してきたスピリチュアルな作品それが詩だったり文学作品だったり音楽バッハとかパーセルとかそういう人たちの作品が鏡の中で使われています、えー、そしてあと芸術絵ですねダ・ヴィンチの絵がよく鏡の中で出てきますあとソラリスの中ではブルーゲルの絵がよく出てきます、えー、そしてサクリファイスの中ではアンドレイ・ルブリョフの遺恨画が出てきます
うん、というわけでそういう人間が人間の歴史の中で作ってきた芸術作品スピリチュアルなものを反映させるアートと我々が周りで身の回りで感じるそういう物理的な世界それがその火だったり大地だったり葉っぱだったり木だったり水だったり風だったりその五感で感じられるものそれが一つの延長線上にあるだよというふうに描いて描かれているような気がします描いてるわけです、えー、それが別々のものではなくてそれが一つの統合された人間という存在の全体像そのスピリチュアルな面と心の中の自然と心の外の地球の自然は一つなんだというふうにタルコスキーの映画の中では描写されています、えー、またこのタルコスキーの映画の中に出てくる例えばダヴィンチの絵だったりいろんな文学作品からの朗読だったりバッハの音楽だったりこういうものはまるでマトリョーシカ効果を発しているわけでマトリョーシカ効果って一体何,何かというとそれマトリョーシカあの一つのお人形の中にまた小さいお人形が入っているでその小さいお人形の中にまたその小さいお人形が入っているというそういう効果でつまりタルコフスキー自身は自分の映画作品が傑作だということは分かっているわけですね。だからその傑作の中に出てくるさらに歴史的な傑作ダ・ヴィンチの絵だったりそのなんかこうマトリョシカの中にまたマトリョシカ入ってるまた夢のシーンだと思ってた起きたと思ったでも起きたと思ったらまあそれも夢だった夢の中の夢から覚めた夢とかねなんかえそういうマトリョシカチックな効果があって例えば鏡の一番最初の場面では少年がテレビをつける場面が一番最初の場面なんですつまり私たちは映画を見始めるっているわけじゃないですかでもその映画の中で少年がテレビをオンにして映画の中の映画みたいなその後で若い青年がスピーチセラピストによってなんか催眠術みたいなのにかけられる場面が鏡の中であるわけですねでそれを見ててあ我々もこれからこの映画によって催眠術にかけられるのかみたいな,なんかそういうなんかそうマトリョーシカの中のマトリョーシカみたいなそういういのが感じられますそして「夢の中の夢」という話なんですけれども鏡の中である一つの場面で小さな少年まあ多分タルコスキーの小さい時なのかなと思うんですけどもとにかくこの少年がベッドの中で寝ていて、えー、そこで白黒の、うん、木とか葉っぱが風の中でざわめくシーンがあります。えー、その後で少年がふと目を覚ましますあつまりさっきの、えー、白黒の木とか葉っぱがざわめいていた場面は彼の夢の中だったのかな無意識の中のことだったのかなというふうに思うわけですねそして見続けているとこの少年が起き上がってえなんかねもう一度寝るんですよそしてまた目覚めてあうん夢だったのかなでその起きている状態と寝ている状態の間の,あの我々が毎日経験するあの灰色の起きているのか寝ているのか分かんないようなあの状態がその伝わってくるわけですね画面からでその後で2回目ぐらいに少年が起きた時にベッドから出てってそして、えー、と寝室の扉のとこまで歩いていくわけですよでその後に突然場面が変わって今度は白黒のなんかボロボロになった部屋の真ん中で少年のお母さんが長い髪を前にダーンと垂らして顔が見えないんですねでその髪を洗っている場面に映るわけですこれを少年が
見ているのかなというふうに解釈できると思うんですけれどもそしてこの白黒の部屋ボロボロでなんか、えっと、天井からいろいろ天井が落ちてきたりだとか,なんかスローモーションだったりとかお母さんの髪がズワーって前に落ちててなんかリングの貞子みたいな感じなんですけど別に怖くも何,何でもないんですけどでお母さんがその髪を洗ってあじゃあこれも少年の中の夢なのかな記憶なのかなじゃあ夢から覚めた夢だ夢の中の夢なのかまだ寝てるのかなって。うーんさっきの夢これも夢だったのかなっていうふうに思うわけですよでそれのお母さんがなんか髪を洗っててジャボジャボでそのでお母さんがこう立ち上がってカメラが後ろにこうズームアウトしていくとこでさっきまでお母さんが髪を洗っていたその水の入った大きなコンテナみたいなのがさっきあったのにカメラがズームアウトしていく時もうないんですよあ夢かみたいなちょっと不思議だみたいなでその後でお母さんが歩き始めてそのお母さんが立ってたところに天井がうおーって落ちてくるなんか不思議なあと後ろにはなんか火が燃えててすごく不思議な場面なんですよねでそれでお母さんが髪を洗ってた時のその水の入ってた器が少年が起きた時の少年の寝室にもあったわけで、ね、夢のようななんか不思議で現実ではないような気がするわけですね他に不思議な場面はお家のこれはカラーの場面なんですけどお家の外のナヤが突然燃え始める場面が本当に燃えてんですねでそれでそれをみんな,なんか何もせず遠くから呆然と眺めてんですねそしてお母さんタルコスキーのお母さんがそばにある井戸のところに歩いてって井戸に座ってなんかその燃えるナヤを眺めてるわけです<笑>それで一人の男性がその燃えるナヤの方に歩いてって走ってって突然最後の方で横の方に走って消えてって何な,な,なんだみたいな<笑>で燃えるナヤが何を象徴するとかな何を象徴するって聞かれたら、まあ、一人一人解釈は異なるしうーんなんか最近私見ててあの燃えるナヤは別に何かを象徴するわけではなくてただ単に記憶なんか錯覚夢の断片として我々の感情に働きかける。現象ととしてあるのではないかと思うんですよねでも突然この火がボーッと燃え上がるしとかよくタルコスキ映画で特に鏡でよく出てくるんですけどでもこの場面とても美しいわけですねあとあその美しいって言っても美しいなな何もかも美しいっていうと美しいっていう言葉自体に意味がなくなっちゃうしなんかヒットラーだって美しいものなんかアーリア民族は美しいだとか。あのゲね、ナチスは芸術とかオペラとかバレエとか映画とかそういう芸術作品が好きな人が多かったわけでだから美という概念はすごい危険でもあるわけですよねそういう政治的な意図を持って使われてしまえばだからなんか美しいものを求めるっていうのはなんどういう目的を持って美しさを追求しているのかというのを考えないと危険な政治的な,なんか望ましくないと思われる人を排除する。目的で美という概念が使われてしまうと非常に危険プロパガンダになってしまうわけなのでそこでは美しいという言葉じゃなるべく使わないようにしますねあのうんあとなんか最後の方でねその小さな少年が田舎のうちのそばの池で泳いでるなんか池って言っても透き通ってるわけじゃなくてそう濁った池なんですけどその濁った池をパチャパチャ泳いでる場面それをカメラが後ろから追っていくんですけどなんかね自分も小さな子供になって一緒にその水の中で泳いでるような気分になるわけですよ
それで自分が小さい時に海とかで泳いだ時の,あの水のを触った時の触覚みたいなのなんか思い体が思い出してきてなんかすごいですよねす,すごく人の五感とあと感情を湧き立たせるような動画があるわけでたくさんあるわけですそれでその少年がお母さんがいると思われる小屋に行ってそのドアを開けようとするんですよねでもドア開かないんですそれで少年が諦めてカメラの方を向いて遠ざかっていくんですねで少年がいなくなった後でそのドアが誰も何もしてないのにおのずとふっとドアが開くんですよさっきいくら引っ張っても開かなかったドアがそれでふっとドアが開いて中にお母さんがしゃがんでじゃがいもをの皮を剥いているんですよそこにワンちゃんもなんか一緒にいてお母さんが「うん何だったのかな?」みたいな感じでその去っていった少年の方をふんって見るんですよねなんかねこの場面すごい不思議でね私大好きなんですよねタルコスキーとタルコスキーのお母さんの間のちょっとうん結構摩擦があったというか問題がたくさんあったらしいその,その人間関係もうちょっと描かれてて映画の中で実際はどうだったのか知らないんですけどそれでなんか我々一人一人のなんか母親との関係みたいなでそれは一体我々の人生の中で何をどういう意味を持つのか、えー、それが理解し合えなかった関係なのかそれともコンプレックスだった関係なのかそれともすごく愛情に満ちた、えー、純粋な関係だったのか,だか我々の中で、まあ、別に男性であろうと女性であろうと別にその他何であろうと。我々一人一人の中でその母親という存在がどんなに大きな意味を持つか特に子供時代に我々の目に映った母親という存在が我々の人生における人生の決断自分のライフチョイスだとかそう自分の人間としてどう自分を位置づけるかそういうものにどれだけ母親という人物像が影響を強い影響を与えるかというのがまた鏡ののメッセージの一つのような気がするわけですそれで鏡で描かれている母親はきっとタルコースキーの母親を写実的に描いた母親ではなくてタルコースキーという少年の目に映った母親の人物像を少しフィクション化した人物だと思うんですだから幼い子供の目に映った母親という生き物そういう生物、えー、人物のえーとまあ、具象を具象化したものなんですねだから我々一人一人だって母親との関係どんなものかみたいなねなんかそういうのを考えさせられながら見る映画でしたあとタルコスキーの映画の中ではもちろん描かれるすごい不思議なこういう場面さっき「燃える納屋」だとか、えー、あとなんかねそのお母さんがベッドの上で浮いている場面もあるわけですねあと子供たちが部屋を去った後でテーブルの上で静止していたボトルが突然誰もいないところで突然動いてポロンとテーブルが落ちる場面あってあなんかちょっと超自然的なちょっと不思議な場面なんですけどそういう目に見える不思議さもありますしあと目に見えないものも描かれるわけですね目に見えないそこで目に見えないところで何があるんだろうそれとも何がないんだろう何があるんだろうみたいなのを私たちが想像するような仕掛けになってる場面もあって例えば窓の外から入ってくる外光が木漏れ日のように入ってくるそのカーテンの方にカメラがずっと近づいていく場面があってそ,その近づいていく中で大人になった時のタルコスキーらしき存在その人の声とそのお母さんが電話で話している会話が流れるわけですよ。私は小さい時にこの画面をこの場面を見ていた時にはあ,あのカーテンの後ろに
大人になったタルコフスキーが立ってお母さんと話しているのかなっていうふうに解釈してたんですねでもまた最近見たらいやそう別にそういうふうに解釈してもいいしそうってある必要もない別に流れてる音声と動画を同一視する必要はないしじゃあそのカーテンの後ろに何があるかわからないわかるそのカーわからないまま次の場面にカットされるんですねなんかあのカーテンの後ろは何かあったのかな誰か立ってたのかなそれとも何もなかったのかなそれタルコスキーの視点なのかその鏡あの、えー、カーテンの後ろにタルコスキーが立ってたのかちょっとわかんないんですねそれがあのそうわからないから面白くってつまり見えない空間我々には明かされない空間に何があったのかっていうのをすごく不思議に考えさせられる場面などもありますあと,、えー、とその夢だったのか記憶だったのかねわからないとかさなんか本当にいろいろあってあと一つの場面でさっきまで部屋にいた人がふっと振り返ったらもいないんですよだか,らだからホラーとかじゃなくて確かに撮影の仕方によってはすごくホラーっぽくなれる場面なんですけどでも全然ホラーではない怖くも何でもないんですよさっきまで部屋にいた人がふっと少年が振り返ったらいなくてでその人が飲んでたお茶とかねコップとかも全部突然なくなってるんですよあれさっきの人どこ行ったみたいなそれで少年がテーブルの方ふっと見たらでもその人が飲んでいたコップがテーブルの上に残した跡みたいなのがジューッと消えていくのがが見えるんですよええー、みたいななんか小さい時私見た時えー、ちょっとホラーみたいな思ったんですけどいやでもホラーじゃない怖くも何でもなくてなうーんなんか我々が目で受け止めている現実はどれだけ現実なのかじゃあ幻想はどれだけ幻想なのかとかねいろいろ考えちゃうわけですよつまりタルコスキー映画特に鏡だとか、まあ、全てそうだと思うんですけどその場面っていうのは現実とかそのシンボリズムではなくて登場人物の内面彼彼女が感じている内面の世界感情その人の今の気分をその場面で描いていると思うんですね。うん。つまりその現実的な世界じゃなくて、この人今ここにいる登場人物の心の中、心の状態、フィーリングをこの場面を表してんだっていう風に捉え始めるとあなん分かっていくんですね。ああそうああこういう気分なのねって。つまり我々は自分が感じている内面の世界を結構外の世界に投影させて。よく言うじゃないですか人間は見たいものを見るってだからあの私たちの内面の状態が精神状態が結構我々が外界で受け止める現実に反映されるこれも心理学的に証明されてるわけでそれをタルコフスキーはそ,それを結構、まあ、極端って言ったら変なんですけど極端な形でちょっと強めにそれを描いただからこそすごく現逆にすごい現実的に感じるんですよね鏡っていう映画は。すご,くすごく超自然的な現象とか意味不明な場面が多いのになのにすごい現実的に感じるそれは登場人物一人一人の感情をその場面自体が具象化していて我々の現人生だってそうじゃないですか自分の心の状態が周りの現実を形作ってるんじゃないですかだからだから逆にすごい現実的に感じるわけですねこの映画っていうのは。というわけでございます。えー、その現代人の話をまたすると現代人っていうのはある意味で心が分裂してしまっているその超自然的とされる現象と唯物論的な物質的な世界この2つが全く矛盾したものというふうに我々は思っちゃってて
でも実際に矛盾してるわけじゃなくてその2つは1つのもの別に分ける必要はないわけなんですよねでその物質ような不要な境界線を現実世界と我々がいわゆる言う義非現実世界の間に引いてしまっていてでもその境界線は必要ないよっていうふうにタルコフスキーは言ってるような気が私はするわけですよ。そしてずっと鏡の中に覗き込む登場人物たちはその分裂引き裂かれてしまった自分の中の心をまた自分を一つの一個の人間として何も引き裂かれてない一つの人間として見直そうと一生懸命努力しているようにも見えてきますそして現代の我々人間っていうのはこの物質の世界をなんか意味という枠組みの中に押さえつけようとすするんですねその数字だったり論理だったりデータそういうもので全て表して全てに意味を与えようとするわけです、まあ、それはそれで意味はある程度あるのかもしれないんですけどもじゃでもタルコスキーはそういうのに反対していたタイプの人間なんですねあの人は全てをデータ化する全てを数字化するそんな意味はないよだって我々の人生我々人間そしてこの宇宙自体が変なんだから。変っていうのは、あの、悪い意味での変じゃなくて、いい意味での変。つまり、不可思議だから。人間も、宇宙も、存在自体も不可思議なものだから、それに意味を与える必要はない。だから、タルコスキー映画も、すごい不可思議なんですよ。だから、彼の映画に意味とか、シンボリズムとか、分析とか、そういうものを与える必要はないわけです。なんでね。ないわけなんです。だから、タルコスキー映画は難解だとか、哲学的だと言われるけど、そうではなくて、彼の映画は、すごいいい意味で不可思議な映画なんですね。うん、そして、つまり、まあ、ロシアの伝統の中のこのシャーマンとかね、その、えー、不思議なミスティカルな、あのミステリアスな、えー、意味不明な、うん、そういうものがまた彼の中に反映されていて、えー、で、これに対してまあ西洋とかね、いわゆる先進国のすごく、うん、ああ、唯物論的なそういうプラグマチックな実践的な実利的な物質主義にすごくこだわるマテリアルなこう手で触れる物質的なものと人間の進歩というのを本当にそれだけが真実なのだというふうにつまり科学とか進歩とか唯物論そういうものを非常に重要視する現代の西洋とか、まあ、先進国みたいな。そういうものに対してタルコスキーは「ん?」ってこうはてなマークを投げかけている、まあ、タルコスキーがそうしたかどうか知らないけどタルコスキー映画を見ることによって我々がそういうふうに感じるっていうことで感じるわけなんですねそれで,でなんで急いでいるのって何回もあの鏡の中で反復されるセリフそうだから西洋の進歩主義に対してなんでそんなに急いでいるのっていうわけですね。<笑>その西洋の進歩主義によれば A から B に行って B から C に常に直線上で進歩して改善していくつまり状況とか、えー、人類だとか、えー、技術だとか人間自身成長して、えー、昨日より良い人間になるつまり常に改善して進歩していくそれが正しい退化してはならないみたいなそういう一直線上に考える、えー、っとなんていうんですかあのまあ、産業革命以後結構ねなんか先進国でみ,みんなが信じているこの改善主義進歩主義みたいなそういうのに対してえ本当にそうなのなんか人間別に
直線上に動いてんじゃなくてなんかぐるぐるぐるぐる同じとこ走り回ってて別に人生とか科学とか哲学とかそういうのに答えはないんじゃないの別にないから人生って面白いんじゃないのっていうふうにタルコスキー映画を見てると思い始めます、まあ、それを実際それと自分が同意するかどうかはまず置いといてそういう考え方もありますよというわけなんですねでこれでまた鏡の最初の場面に戻って最初にあのアナタリーソロアナトリー・ソロニーチンというタルコスキーのことが大好きだったタルコスキーが撮った7本の映画の中の4本に登場する素晴らしいソ連時代の俳優がいて彼が最初にお医者さんとして本当に少しだけ鏡の最初の場面に出てきますそれで彼が言うんですね、えー、なぜ我々人間はいつも急いでんだ葉っぱとか植物とか木は急いでいないじゃないかそれはなぜかそれは我々人間が自分の中の自然を信じなくなってしまったからだっていうふうに彼は言うんですこの一つのお医者さんのセリフがタルコスキーの作品の全てを説明してくれるっていうふうに私は思っています人間は自分の中の自然を忘れて信じなくなってしまっただから周りの物質的な世界に振り回されて走り回ってるあーそういう考え方ねっていうことだけですね、うん、だからタルコスキー映画の世界ではこの自然界木とか葉っぱとか水とか川とかそういうのが人間の心の中の自然と同じその延長線上同じ次元にあるわけでそういうのをもっとなんか信じていいんじゃないかみたいな自分の中のスピリチュアリティを信じて個人としてのスピリチュアリティをもっと大切にしていいんじゃないかみたいなねそういう考え方ででも大自然は別にいや大自然の中で実際サバイバルしないといけないってなったらそれはそれはですごい大変だと思いますよだって自分がね昆虫とか動物として生まれてきてたら大自然の中でサバイバルするなんてすごいもう必死だと思うんですよもう食われるか食うかみたいなだからタルコスキーが描く美しい自然みたいなそれを非常にうんまあロマン派的な自然の描き方なわけですよねもちろんそれとは逆でナショナルジオグラフィックとか最近のネットフリックスで出てくるさなんかなんか大自然のドキュメンタリーネイチャードキュメンタリーみたいに大自然は常になんか戦場だみたいな動物はお互いを食われるか食うかこのライオンはどうやって明日までサバイバルするかみたいな,なんかな何これネイチャードキュメンタリーなのかグラジエーターを見てるのかどっちか分かんないよなん,かなんかそういう風に自然を描くのも私それもちょっと。うんなんか偏った映画方だなと思うんですけどタルコフスキーのなんか自然を美化するのも確かに偏った映画方で、まあ、つまりタルコフスキーは19世紀の、まあ、彼自身は、ね、20世紀の人間だったわけなんですけどこの人は明らかに心は19世紀に生きてた人でもしくはもっと昔自然を美化するロマン派反動主義的な理想主義のロマン派の芸術家だったわけですねタルコフスキーさんはね。というわけです、うん、でそ,なんかそういうことを考えながらね彼の映画見ていろいろ人間ね今後どうなっていくのかテクノロジーはね果たして本当にいいのかそれでテクノロジーがもたらす害ね自然への害人間の存在への害だってねあのだって核兵器ねプーチンがいつボタンを押していつ人類地球が破滅してしまうか分かんないようなね、まあ、今2023年ですかそういうそういう世界に生きててじゃうん、技術がもたらす害それを果たして我そ,それを我々が乗り越えてテクノロジーをいいことだけに使ってテクノロジーを超越してより良い
人類というものに我々は発展していけるのか、まあ、それはあのキューブリックが2001年宇宙の旅で言ってたことですよね技術はを私たちは乗り越えてもっといい人類は,はもっとし技術を乗り越えて発展していくんだみたいな果たしてそうなるのかそれともそれともタルコフスキーが言っていたように、まあ、技術とかはまあ破滅していって結局は私たちは自分のスピリチュアルな世界に戻っていくのかそれともまた全然違うことが起こるのか本当に分かんないですよね今 20, 21世紀のあもう20年代に入ってるのもびっくりですねわあ時は経つのは早いあ今2023年でこういう質問を聞いて今でも答えはないですだからタルコスキーの映画に答えがないのと同じく人類の今後がどうなるかって全然答え分かんないですいやだから今だから50年前にタルコスキーが聞いていた質問と今の質問も変わってないわけですよねだから今から数百年後に振り返ったら少し答えはあるのかもしれないですけど数百年後ねまあでもうんなんかそういうのを考えてるとねなんか面白いですよねうん、まあ、というわけで今日は、えー、とそういうお話でしたもう一度繰り返しますがこの「鏡」という映画への YouTube に載ってますのリンクはこの本日のエピソードの下の解説文に載せておきますのでご興味のある方はぜひ確認してみてください、えー、皆さんはどうですか、えー、現代人本当に心分裂しちゃってると思いますか現代人どう思いますかテクノロジーについてどう思いますか皆さんテクノロジーは利害いろいろあると思いますいいこと悪いことどういうことがありますかまたタルコスキー映画をご覧になった方また今後ご覧になる方彼の映画についてどう思いますか是非、ね、ご感想とかコメントなどあったら是非インスタグラムの方でコメントしてくださいもしくは私にメールしてください english.with.kaya.gmail.com ですねでそして今後どういうトピックでポッドキャストのエピソードをしてほしいか話してほしいかみたいなことがあれば是非私の方へメールとかねインスタとかでメッセージしてくださいはいあと本日のエピソード、えー、面白かったと思ったらぜひポッドキャストの方にあの評価を残してくださいあの5つ星が、えー、ありますねその中で星を押してとレビューも残してください口コミも残してくださいぜひ評価を残してくださいよろしくお願いしますでは本日タルコスキーと鏡に関するエピソードを聞いていただき皆さん誠にありがとうございました素敵な週末もしくは素敵な1週間をお過ごしくださいはい素晴らしい夏をお過ごしください、えー、ではまたもうすぐまた次のエピソードをリリースしたいと思いますのでそれまで皆さんお気をつけてくださいご視聴いただきありがとうございました See you next time